My father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. episode 87 of Do You Expect Us Talk? I'm Becca, your fabulous host as always, and joining me are fellow Jedi Masters, Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. How are you guys? Well, I didn't know I was a Jedi Master. <laughs> you are now. Uh, she saw Master in the word somewhere. Um, <laughs> I was going to do a joke about where's my lightsaber, but... <laughs> Dude, where's my lightsaber? <laughs> Oh, look, his shaft is purple. <laughs> oh, dear. Must be a Samuel fan. If you're listening, Samuel L. Jackson with the Queen and, <laughs> and the Force Ghosts of Ronnie Corbett and Riddick Poe and the Queen Latifah. For this extra special series, we have an extra special guest, the ultimate Jedi no, we Master. don't. <laughs> anyway, Charlie Brigden, how are you? Um, I'm okay, how are you? Good, thank you. <laughs> yes, Charlie Hoskia, as always. Yes, what listeners don't realise is Charlie is uh, got, is on contract to appear on every episode that features Star in the title. <laughs> Star Wars, you know. Star Wars, when we come to do it. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> it's a much-loved Disney ride. I remember being on that ages ago, but anyway. <laughs> no, that was good fun. But anyway, thank you, okay. listeners, for bearing with us. Um, we've come out of our carbon-freezing hibernation to finally do Star Wars retrospective series. What do you this make of gonna, that? This is going to be a big one, isn't it? This is going to be epic. 
especially because it's well, obviously the same as Bond, but it's still going. So except totally different. Except <laughs> in another galaxy far, far away. So yeah. how's it? How's it just like Bond then? Well, no, because it's a it's a series that's <clears throat> very long running, um, and obviously still still going. So okay. I, I think arguably it's... one's a, one's a space opera, a western in space, and the others a spy and the other one Star Wars. The other one Star Wars. <laughs> I think arguably, I know uh, Bond is the the longer franchise, uh, yes. but this is probably the, the most prestigious. You know, it's 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 the most famous of of all a few names. What what's the biggest franchise out there? Yeah, it's got like the, the biggest following. I would say. I mean, the most hardcore fan base. Um, I'd say. Um, I don't That's know what we have to get right. I'm sure there will be fans. You know, probably won't be emailing us, but going, "Hey, you got that wrong," or "Oh, that's not correct," or. Yeah, but it's free, so fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in England, so screw you. Yeah, none of that have a nice day bollocks in this country. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? There you are, fuck off. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, Charlie, there's uh, there's always like, um, you hear, hear, this, all, hear all this stuff about um, the rivalry between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans. Now, as a fan of both, um, is, is that you... Do you feel that's Have true? Have you ever given yourself a stern thrashing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever argued, argued with yourself in the living room like a madman? <laughs> no, fuck you, you're wrong now. No, but uh, have you ever what me what what's your preferred? Are you more Star Wars or Star Trek? Do you like them equally as both, or is there is there actually that amostry between uh, both fans of each series? Um, pro- probably due to a little bit of nostalgia. Um, more than anything is it would all be always be star wars um i mean i i've never seen that much rivalry um i think some of it's possibly jealousy because of how kind of popular star wars became kind of in the, in the mainstream but um star trek fans have a have a, a lot to uh, to thank star wars for considering um what happened with the uh, the motion picture um coming off the kind of success of Star Wars and then launching into the big franchise it is today, really. Yeah, um, I guess that's true. I mean, without Star Wars, we wouldn't have classics like um, Search for Spock or... Or, 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 <laughs> Charlie ranked or Star Wars three, 5. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was trying to think of Star Wars 5. I couldn't remember the name. The final <laughs> There you are. Yes. That's where it's get confusing because is that the episode number or when it was released? Star Trek Five Boys Brigade. Boys <laughs> Brigade. <laughs> yeah, they're dressed like they're in the Boys Brigade. They do a little bit. <laughs> um, Star Trek Five shoulders. Star Trek Five cadets on patrol. <laughs> Space cadets on patrol. Somebody asked us one. Somebody asked me um, if we were ever going to do the Police Academy films. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I don't know what I can talk about for seven times. And then, right, they go into a club, and it's a gay club, and so-and-so can do voices. <laughs> and then, right, really quiet one gets that, angry really. and shouts. <laughs> and, and then the one that does impressions does, like, a police siren. Oh. Uh, <laughs> classic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although it's rapidly turning into like a dad's army thing in that you can't watch it without going, he's dead, he's dead. Oh, oh that's really sad. That's really sad. So Very sad. Thanks for blowing the tone, Dave. So, <laughs> <sighs> so, 
So, so uh, all, we were talking rivalry. Yes. Which is better, Star Wars, Star Trek? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> fight! No, I, yeah, that would be quite a lame fight, I reckon. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like you do it the Harry Hill way. Well, I, I always kind of, I always enjoyed both of them in different ways because um, they're different kind of um, stories. Star, Star Trek is, is very kind of cerebral and it's it's of essential where I've never considered it's always kind of the fantasy um, I mean yeah it has the science fiction things and kind of space opera things with spaceships and whatnot. but it's very much kind of a fantasy type thing where so you can easily take something or you can recognise where the influences for Star Wars have come from with Westerns and the Arthurian legends and stuff like that. Um, but if you tried to kind of take some of the stories of Star Trek and put them anywhere else, they wouldn't work because it's all based around science fiction and how that um, genre works in as a narrative. Uh, yeah, I mean, Star Trek is a... Is a when we say science fiction, we're not saying you know, it's a logic, it does, and, it, and there's a lot of what in it, but it is, it, it is an extrapolation of a, you know, a what-if future. Mm. And the science in it, as much as there's way too much technobabble in the TNG era, and I admit that even as a TNG fan, it's as they do at least try to have some in-universe explanation for how things work. How much sense that makes can vary... But at a very basic level, they could say, oh, well, that's roughly how it's doing that. Like warp, punches a hole in space, surfs, surfs through. That's, that's effectively what warp is. Um, Star Wars never really tries to explain, you know, lightsabers, hard light, anything like that. Um, and like I think Charlie said before, it's about princesses. There's a mental figure who's very Gandalf. And, you know, it, it's got much, much more in common with things like Lord of the Rings than it than yeah, it would. Yeah, kind of takes its more like, 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 like a Star Trek mythology and classical yeah. storytelling. I tend to think it's just very very lazy. I've seen videos over the <gasps> years where it's gone Star Trek versus Star Wars. The rivalry continues. And it's like, <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> what the bits of it are set in space and they've got star in the title. Yeah, that's the rivalry. That's it. I think it's yeah. notable as well that Starman versus stars in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the rivalry continues. <laughs> the, um, that was the, the movie. That Star Wars got went, um, kind of went uh, into a bit of trouble when it did kind of try and start to explain stuff like with the midichlorians and the rubbish like that, and kind of trying to take that magic away that in the, the in the original films was literally magic. Yeah, and and I think as well you've got Star Wars doesn't suit. Um, what a, a, a trend a trait George Lucas is is not good at in the um, certainly in the prequels he has the the cast stand around and explain everything to each other yeah um, and and I think that's fine in some degrees and 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 the first trilogy has a bit of that there's no doubt but the more they stand around and just talk about things and try and explain everything you get into explaining things that either don't need to be explained or it's actually the, to their detriment to try to explain them. Yeah. There were other ways we'll get to episode one, obviously, but um, there were other ways to explain that Anakin was unusually force sensitive um, than just taking a blood sample. 
Yeah. It, it, it ruined it, to be honest. And and to be honest, it's never been talked about in a single film since, and I don't think that's an accident. Um, it's never even been mentioned, Metachlorine Count. Um, so, yeah, what about you guys with Star Wars? Uh, Becca, you were born, the only one of us born after the entirety of the first trilogy was done. Fun fact, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Amaze your friends. Bird, <laughs> I listened to a podcast on. <gasps> she, uh, she was born after those films. But yeah, no, I think I'm the baby of the bunch. Um, no, definitely. I mean, I'm certainly you know a fan of the series. Um, I perhaps wouldn't say my fandom level is as high as is for Bond, for example. But you know, we've all grown up with these movies, um, and they, whether you like it or not, they do kind of inform upon upon your life and and how you see things um i'm sort of I'm, I'm not i wouldn't consider myself religious in any way shape or form but there's sort of elements of like you know the force and things like that that do kind of impinge upon upon your beliefs and how you see the world so i think that's quite interesting um and it certainly informs upon my viewpoint of the world as well i'm a bit sort of hippy dippy <laughs> in a way um but yeah no group with these movies definitely um i remember my dad taking to see like the when when they were reissued um, many many moons ago, um, I went to the amazing um, secret cinema Star Wars a couple of summers ago, um, and for that was episode five. So we'll talk more about that when we get to that episode. Um, and yeah, it's just you know, it's, I think Star Wars will forever be up there as like one of well, I'm sorry, but like for me, like one of the greatest movies ever made. It's episode four, five, like four, five, six, probably with the most one of the most you know important trilogy of films. Um, certainly in terms of maybe not in terms of script um, just purely I don't for think the, any trilogy is important in terms of script well, well no no just in terms of like for this this film certainly um, episode 4 as, as we said for the amount of like Basil exposition that you get um, but certainly in terms of like like music it's certainly iconic um, you instantly recognise John Williams theme um, special effects definitely um, ILM I think Ben Burt did you get a special um special academy award um for the effects um just the amount of technological advances that were made you know to, to make this film and the fact that episodes one two and three couldn't be made until technology had caught up with where lucas wanted them to be um, which is bullshit whatever you want to tell yourself george that's it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically what fight. Cameron's doing, isn't it, right now? James Cameron exactly. with Avatar. Yeah, but, yeah, but at least with <laughs> Avatar, you could at least argue they are all completely digital characters. Mm. But if you're going to make a precursor to the original trilogy, that has some similarities. Oh, oh right, sorry, yes. Some of, the, uh, some of the looks of it as well. I but mean, no, yeah, I you, couldn't, you couldn't do Coruscant the way it looked, obviously. Mm. But... You've kind of written yourself into your own corner there. I had yeah, to, he's, he's technology to catch up. He should have waited another ten years or so then, because the, a lot of the CG in that trilogy looks rubbery as shit now. You could have done a lot of mocap, but no, definitely I do. I say probably introduce this to my dad. Amazingly, as always. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of those films that, that sticks with me um, and informs upon kind of how I see the world. Um, and it's yeah, one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. But anyway, what did you guys? What, what's your um, what did you guys watch? <laughs> what did you guys reckon? What did you think? <laughs> Skip to the end. I, I watched Battlestar Galactica instead. Oh, right. <laughs> we thought space, uh, another rivalry continued. Space precinct. 
He's bracing. <laughs> well, I personally thought William Shatner was great in this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not as in love with this series as, say, Charlie, certainly. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always enjoyed it. It's, you know, it's it's definitely ingrained in my childhood. I think, you know, I think it's ingrained in a lot of people's childhood, if not everyone. I mean, everyone growing up uh, had, they had, like, Star Wars in their lives at some point. I was never the uh, huge Star Wars fanboy. Uh, that came, I think Bond sort of took that mantle. Um, probably largely because it's it's a strange... It was a str- odd thing, because I remember when I was really young, Star Wars being on. But when, and when like, as soon as Return of the Jedi was syndicated on TV, that was the only thing that was actually on TV. Uh, the only Star Wars film that got showed. There was no Empire, no New Hope. So by the time I actually got to actually sit down and watch uh, the new Star Wars, uh, the, the other Star Wars films in, like, in, a, in, a, in a more kind of clear mature slightly mature mind where i can actually remember shit uh it was actually when the special editions came out got re-released so it, it was it was it was a, an odd thing was it where like my only real a child of star wars was basically jedi and that was my the, the main thing i grew up with, with with vague memories but i always think the thing with star wars i, I think what's testament to it is i always think what it must have been like Back back in nineteen ninety seven, sitting in that cinema and like and seeing that opening shot of a spaceship coming across fire firing laser, another another ship. Just thinking that that had never been done before. That was the first time audience actually saw a moving ship, and it was uh, that must have been like such an amazing experience and so, uh, tied to what essentially is kind of like a fun caper. I uh, know it's, it's it's kind of like a a fun uh, like action adventure space opera. Um, I think it, everyone just like, oh my god, that was amazing! Can I have more of that, please? Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. it's uh, I think looking at looking at it, it's uh, you can pick your flaws at it. I mean, it's not like the best written film as Becca alluded to, but um, that's part of what's endearing to it. It's kind of almost like the the hamming the hammy uh, op like serials that it it drew influence from. So. Um, I think it. I think it also looks very good for. Uh, the, I don't know what the budget was. Was it? Was it? I, I imagine you, it was you, you about hear, six million dollars. I was going to say you hear different things in different places. The most widely, um, the most widely findable figures in that. I reckon if you looked around the internet at lots of different sources, you'll see that it was budgeted at five and came in at eight. But I've actually listened to the Lucas commentary. Now, Lucas is not the most reliable narrator because you think, well, he said it, he must know. But he was talking like 30-odd years after the films were made. But he said it was budgeted at, a, at just under 10 and came in at 13. So okay. you see different you see different things in different places, but we're not talking yeah. a massive budget. No, I mean, I, I imagine because this would be like a, a potentially a big risk as well, you know. Um, so... It, it could, this could have easily been flopped, and that would have been it. I mean, I mean, like no more lightsaber duels, no, uh, no. Well, the, the, no the, the big, I mean, obviously, the big risk is this film because it's the first one. But the big risk financially for Lucas and Lucasfilm is next week. Um, but certainly with this one, when you read up and you think Alan Horn was the main reason this got made because he was a fan of American graffiti. Um, which is a film that bears very little relation to this in, in look, feel, or anything else. But it was George Lucas's hit. And when he presented the script around town, 
iterations of the script no one seemed to get it no one was that interested but Alan Horn said I think you're talented I like to know graffiti will give you a shot Charlie's that about right from your understanding um, yeah his name's Alan Ladd oh who's Alan Horn then Alan <laughs> Horn is Alan Ladd Jr Alan Horn is, is Disney at the moment is he Alan Horn is he Disney's current he could be top yeah now he's yeah, Al- I'm a little bit embarrassed because I knew it was Alan Ladd but yes Alan Ladd Jr <clears throat> I'm saying not the Alan Ladd to be too old. Yeah, he's known, he's known as Alan Ladd these days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think American Graffiti does have a bit of similarity with it. More kind of, kind of the way it's presented is, is kind of like a, a youthful adventure. And there's a lot of things around speed and things like that. And kind of wanting to get out of where you are to yeah, go on something yeah. bigger. I'd go along with that, although I've always paired it much more with THX 1138 because they're effectively plotless. They're almost a little bit fly on the wall. Yeah, oh yeah, Whereas, absolutely. whereas you, could, yeah, you, yeah. Couldn't, you couldn't argue Star Wars is plotless. Um, yeah, um, my, just very quickly then, my history with the series, um, I was later to this than I was to some of the other series I love. Funnily enough, of all of them, my favourite, I was latest to, James Bond. But I got to Superman before this. So Superman would have been probably about my favourite. But I went to see Return of the Jedi at the age of, let me think, six. Um, And a few months later, they showed all three films in the same day, like one after another. My dad loved me for that. Um, So I went and watched them all in a row. uh, And it was love from then on. So I would think I didn't get quite the same sort of big bang experience with Bond in that I didn't see Bond and go, right, that's my new favorite thing. It took a little bit longer with Bond. So Bond slowly supplanted it over the years. But Star Wars can get a, 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 a nostalgic element in me that nothing else bar the first Christopher Reeve Superman film can get at, or the first two Christopher Reeve Superman films. They look kind of unique. They sound unique. Um, and for all the efforts over the years to get series going that have that sort of unique look and feel and, and supplant or, or, or form a similar part in the public consciousness, I think really Lord of the Rings didn't, didn't get close. It didn't. It was popular and it was lauded, but it doesn't have the same... Um, uh, pop cultural um, penetration, the films anyway, I mean. Well, there, it does have a series of prequels that have brought it down in uh, many people's minds. Yeah, <laughs> and, and overly digital, and yes, and yeah. Um, God, we'll get to them one day, I'm sure. And then they did some more walking. Um, <laughs> but I would say that um, the only series I can think of that feels like nothing else and sounds like nothing else is probably Harry Potter. That's probably the closest we've ever come to something like this. But obviously, the uh, the you know the attempts to find another Star Wars are now irrelevant. Star Wars is back, which is one of the reasons we're sort of uh, doing this now. But yeah, I've been a fan since about the age of six. I had the originals, uh, the original cuts of the films, originals cuts of these films as a term, is subjective anyway. Because even on first cinema releases, there were different sound cuts mm. uh, because there was a mono cut and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, Aunt Beru, no one actually knows which is the, her real voice. 
because there's different voices in different cuts. And I've yeah, so many different there's, versions. There's only two. There's only two different voices in different cuts of Baru, but no one knows now which is the real one. I've only ever heard the one I know now, but no one's actually seems to be sure if that's the actress's real voice. Um, but in terms of what we understand, pre the big changes, the big changes in terms of effects. Uh, in terms of added scenes, in terms of digital tinkering, major digital tinkering. Um, I owned them on VHS in the early 90s. Yeah, my auntie has those on VHS as well. uh, A bit useless probably now, unless you still got the video. Yeah, she's still got a video player somewhere, but also the TV can't play. I saw saw the special editions in cinemas in, I, I think it was across sort of April and May, uh, 1997 when they were coming up to around 20 years of age they were they were on screen like i think they were about two weeks apart mm. a week or something like that i went to see yeah. um at the time the digital tinkering didn't bother me maybe as much as it does now but we can talk about that and we'll talk about some of it tonight i am aware of most of the changes but when we say original cut we're probably still talking about a cut that says episode four on it and that wasn't on the original so again you've got to be a little bit careful with that term but i've been a fan most of my life when i went to see the prequels um 1999, uh, The Phantom Menace, we got it a couple of months after the United States. It's the last time that it wasn't at the same time. Or, well, now we even get it a day before. But, you know, we get it in the same week now. Back then, it, we got it in July when they got it in the traditional May slot. And word of mouth was bad. Um, and I think I may even have read a novelization and found it really boring. So, um, but I, I loved Star Wars so much back then that I was trying to convince myself I liked it. So I never had that, my God, this is disgraceful, about The Phantom Menace. I had it about Attack of the Clones. Um, I, I had similar for me. I mean, I, uh, I, I, mean I, I really solidly enjoyed Phantom Menace. Uh, I still think it takes... I, I don't like it, but I still think it's it's the most harshly treated of the prequels. I think it's quite interesting how like, Jar Jar was considered cutesy to begin with, but now... People find him universally offensive. No, he was hated at the time, Becca. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, in terms of like, obviously, yeah. parents were taking the, you know, they then kids to go and see the well, film. Kids did like him. That's, yeah, um, that's why. But... I think we're going to talk about it a lot when we get to the prequels. Yeah, we but, will. And what I mean by that is, uh, George now says yes, but they're for kids. I, mm. I, I think George's has shifted slightly on that. Yeah. I think they were for children. I think he went for younger children than the original trilogy was aimed at. Sure. Um, and also, I, I mean, I can tell some stories around the time about how kids at the time reacted then, but how it didn't stay with them. And there were kids I spoke to years later who were like, I used to like Star Wars, but I tell that story sort of down the line. Charlie, what about you in Star Wars? <clears throat> um, the first time I saw Star Wars um, was on pirate video. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my my dad... Um, you rebel. <clears throat> You rebel scum, Charlie. Chris, 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 you know your criminal past. Don't fucking throw stones. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad used to work for Buttons, and, and because they had a cinema there, he used to kind of get pirate videos through. And we got we got Star Wars, and then we got Empire Strikes Back. And like Dave, um, Return of the Jedi was the first one I saw at the cinema. Um, but by then, I was fully obsessed um, and yeah, I just I was just kind of absolutely obsessed with them, um, right up. Uh, kind of lulled a bit, um, I guess, in the uh, kind of late eighties. 
and then kind of I remember they brought um, they brought the trilogy out on widescreen and it was like this big they did I think they did Die Hard and Alien at the same time it's like this big thing that they're releasing these films finally in widescreen um, and I bought it then and I, I saw Empire Strikes Back and it felt like such a, a different film than I remembered I hated Pan and Scan yeah we all had TVs back back in the day that were four by three. So you had a yeah. choice of big black bars. And people to this day go, well, you're missing half the film. No, you're not. You're getting half the, the fucking film. But you, you used to have pan and scan versions. Yeah. So irritating. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that just kind of rekindled everything, really. So that I kind of, yeah, I just kind of, again, became massively obsessive about that and would kind of get all the books and things and stuff like that um and then the same thing when the, the special editions came out and it's kind of i mostly enjoyed it but there were kind of gripes and, and kind of since then it has kind of very Festus. much grated yeah absolutely and then when phantom Menace came out again it was kind of like the same thing i, I saw it 13 times at the cinema wow um and um and i really loved it I, th- I thought it was great. And then, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking of like the naked gun. I'm imagining you walking out going, well, what a day I've had. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sorry. I saw Attack of the Clones and I really liked it. And then I saw it again and something just clicked in me and everything changed. Um, and then it, it, it around the same time was when I started writing kind of critically as well so I think maybe then my kind of faculties had kind of changed in regards to being able to kind of really te- really kind of deconstruct things um, and then when the third one kind of came out it was kind of I was really depressed because it just because it didn't meet the kind of expectations I needed it to meet um, and then I'm a big fan of the new ones both of them so far um, so yeah, um, I'm kind of marked for life and I, I've always been known sometimes to my annoyance as the kind of the Star Wars guy amongst friends and social circles and what have you. So yeah. Okay. This series, this series in terms of these episodes, um, it's quite funny. Uh, series just responded. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, Right. The way we normally choose commentaries is uh, notable by the fact that there is no way we choose commentaries. We sometimes don't do them. During Star Wars, we put them to the vote. Um, during That's Bond, we, we sort of... What did I say? Star Wars? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're just the same. During Star Trek, we put them to the vote. During Bond, we sort of su- suggested some, but canvassed a bit of opinion with this we went for the highly um we went for the highly scientific charlie going what about those two and us going yeah, all right so, so, <laughs> so we shall be covering the films in release order we will pause at the end of the prequels so after six episodes to commentate on the two middle chapters and likely to be in release order, so we leave a bit more distance between having to do Attack of the Clones twice. So, episodes four, five, six, one, two, three, commentary on five, commentary on two, and the two new films. Which means, Becca, tell us about tonight. 
tonight, listeners, as if you didn't realise, we are discussing Star Wars Episode 4. And you hope starring Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Alec Guinness, Dave Prowse, James Earl Jones, Peter Mayhew, Peter Cushing, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, plus many, many more. Written and directed by... those names faster. <laughs> written and directed by George Lucas, scored by John Williams, and released in 1977-78, depending on where you live. Mm. Yeah, so the, its original release date is is our current Twitter date of birth, May the 25th, 1977. So yeah, 40th anniversary. Yeah, which is one of the reasons we're doing it this year. Yeah, when 40 years you reach. Look as good you will. <laughs> In my case, honestly, you will. <laughs> okay, so the first film is... It's... Uh, it's an unusual film when you when you compare it to the rest of them. It's so straightforward. It's just a boy's own adventure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah. typical. It's the same with like like Indiana Jones, for example. It's very much born of those kind of boy's own adventures, cliffhangers, um, westerns. It's essentially a western in space. I think the I think it's a western in terms of so in some establishing shots, like you got Luke got on the desert looking at the mm. two suns. Um, it's got a certain sort of elements i mean there's a it is it does share like a mixture of western with fancies as, as we talked about before and so um, it can be like a gunslinger style character yeah well, pretty much it's all pretty much standard themes that we generally kind of know already and kind of like i mean that's probably why it's as popular as it is essentially um, good versus evil isn't it it's probably like the most yeah. classical, classical storytelling and you've got like the depending what it is now um like basically the, the seven main elements I'll say pillars but that's something else entirely um, you know tropes of storytelling shall we say yeah I mean I think what also what adds to it well adds to its popularity was the good old fashioned you know um, soap opera element uh, <laughs> you know yeah, it's, it's that, it. that kind of family for you things which would which probably lends itself to the later episodes but uh, here this is significantly has a different feel than the others uh, I think it it spends. It's... When you said family, I've just clued in. I thought you meant the quiz show based like we had this family fortunes <laughs> over here. So I was thinking of dumb quiz answers and that has nothing to do with Star Wars. The one I watched, it said name a Parisian landmark, and the woman said Hawaii. Right, and I was sat there with that running through my head, going, "What's that got to do with anything?" Na- name brand name different brands of power converters. You said. That's what I said. What I can say. Yeah, it, there's a different feel uh, to this than the other Star Wars films. It's uh, it has a, lot, a little bit more of a world build, even though it only really sort of explores Tatooine and Death Star, more or less. But there, there is like kind of like a lot more kind of like a nice calm slower pace for the first hour we're just kind of nicely sort of getting naturally progressing with characters getting to know them and then last hour is just like wall-to-wall just action um and i mean that in the, in the good sense i think it it does that quite well well uh, i don't do what i normally do and completely tune fucking out well which is a no, good it's, well, it, it does because it, it does. I mean, there's, there's, there's much story to it, but it, it paces it quite well. It's not just like aimless action. It's uh, you got, the, the chemistry of the actors help as well. They've got nice. They bounce off each other well, I think. And well, I think I think. <clears throat> I mean, I know George Lucas kind of took various influences 
um, for it, and one of them was uh, the Akira Kurosawa film, uh, which was The Hidden Fortress, um, which is kind of like where you have a knight and uh, a kind of older guy going off to rescue a princess um, from this from the hidden fortress of the title. But the way it's kind of told is it's told from the social level of these two kind of underlings, um, which kind of he apparently kind of took inspiration for that from for R2-D2 and C-3PO in terms of the way kind of stories kind of vaguely told through them and obviously the, the beginning and how it's gone through there, which is kind of really quite unique. I mean, in terms of the, the Western stuff, I mean, it's as well, it's, it's very similar to the John Wayne film, um, The Searchers. Um, and That's why it's a Western see, in space. Yeah, and you can see that there's a lot of the elements there. There's the desert and there's the homesteads and... Uh, there's the uh, the kind of the Native Americans or the, the the kind of savages as they were portrayed back then, where you have in the the kind of sand people and things like that, um, and then the kind of more benevolent types with the, the Jawas, um, and then you have places like the Cantina and, and things like that. The Cantina is uh, very Western, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and Han Solo is is the and even how uh, they roll into town there. That's <clears throat> I'll say bits of it aren't, and I probably overstated it by disagreeing. Bits of it, yes, very much. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, it's kind of taking those influences and then kind of transposing them into something completely kind of otherworldly. Um, and, and and one one thing about Star Wars, I mean, it, it, I don't I don't even think it was. Um, I think motion control was being done on 2001. Um, so I think I think 2001 is kind of like a bit more um, of the well in which this kind of sprang from. Um, I thought they, they certainly they would have at least refined the technique for this because when oh, you watch course, yeah. when you watch all the extras, they invented like a new computer to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because because of, of the kind of speed of things, mm. and that and that's the thing. The kind of speed of of kind of a lot of the kind of things that happen in this film with the spaceships and things like that compared to 2001, which is elegant and yeah, lovely. Uh, absolutely, yeah. But also the design is so impeccable. Um, <clears throat> they had Ralph McQuarrie, who is a kind of concept artist who uh, used to work for, I believe, for the kind of NASA and the um, and uh, kind of air, air companies and Boeing and people like that. Um, and there was a guy called Joe Johnston, who was just like an amazing designer. Um, and you had the production designer, who was a guy called John Barry. Obviously not that one. No. Uh, died very young, this uh, John Barry. Yeah, yeah, he died um, after Empire Strikes Back. Um, but he did Superman as well. And um, one thing that is, has become very influential that Star Wars kind of... Um, again had been seen vaguely before but Star Wars really kind of pioneered it more is the idea of these ships of these things that look kind of beaten up and that looked a lot more real than anything had, that had really come come before the huge so, future <clears throat> yeah so we're used to things like even like Star Trek we use things like um, all the kind of older kind of sci-fi films of 
with with spaceships and things, or even stuff like Logan's Run, which was only like a year um, before Star Wars, I think. Um, <clears throat> and just the, the fact that you don't need to put everything so much in the in exposition, um, despite the fact that there is Faramat in there, because it's so impeccably constructed um, visually. Um, a lot George, George Lucas is, is is almost less a director than an editor, um, and certainly the, the way Star Wars was put together um, ori- originally, the um, it was uh, someone else was editing the film, and they basically just kind of used all the kind of master shots and assembled it, and it was just like, apparently it was like really, really awful. So they fired him and got some new editors together, one of which was um, uh, Marsha Lucas, George's wife, and there's another guy called Richard Chu and Paul Hirsch, um, who worked with Brian De Palma on, uh, on Carrie um, just before. And they kind of just edited it right to the edge and just kind of turned the film around. And, and it is, the, the editing just is incredible on the film and again it just adds to the really kind of visual nature where there's kind of long periods um again like 2001 where it's just music um and um and a few sound effects and there's there's no dialogue um but it kind of it almost just kind of streaks along um at, at a pace but i mean yeah there's these kind of opening scenes Kind of Darth Vader, the way he's designed the stormtroopers, everything is, like you said, these films, yeah, they were kind of made for children, but certainly not in the way George has maybe claimed them as they are now, or as he says they are now. We'll talk about uh, definitely that bit when we get to the prequels. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. We'll be quoting some of what he said at the time. Yeah. Because he's, but, but, he's claimed he's, it's aimed at the same audience, and it isn't. Yeah, but but it's so easily definable. You had you had Princess Leia in this white cloak. Um, you've got the, Luke the in Bond's white. hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got Luke, Luke in white, um, and you've got Obi Wan Kenobi in his kind of brown, uh, almost samurai esque kind of thing, and then you've got Vader in black armor with that kind of samurai esque, um, almost like a, the Japanese kind of only masks. Um, which was kind of originally kind of based from, um, and then you have the stormtroopers, and again it's, it's kind of this iconography that that was created through the kind of the, the design, and just way able to, and then you've got John Williams' score, which um, is just going with the kind of reinvented symphonic kind of film scoring at that time. And uh, went very back to the kind of light motif um, way of doing things, where when we were talking last week in the music episode about that with Max Stein and King Kong and things like that, um, where that's so important. So you've got, I mean, it, just in that opening scene, you've got music for Darth Vader, um, you've got rebel fanfare for all the, all the soldiers, you've got Princess Leia's theme, then you've got the Imperial theme, exactly. And then it goes, kind of goes back and forth. And the way it kind of makes those identifications become almost subconscious in your head. Yes, yeah, so the, the one thing, the, yeah, the one thing I will point out with that, though, 
is I always thought Ben's theme was Luke's theme because the most famous piece it plays over is the Binary Sons. Yeah, no, that's um, yeah, Ben's theme is the Force. So it, it it is it was originally called Ben's theme, the Force theme, and since then has kind of been kind of opened up to obviously take advantage of all the other characters that have used it and what have you. Um, yeah, because so. Because that the the the, the scene with the, the twin sunsets, which is really the kind of it's the keystone of Star Wars and what the film's about. And that was rescored, wasn't it? It was rescored. Yeah, it was much a much less thematic approach. They used a tiny little bit of of Luke's theme in there. So yeah, because Luke's theme is is the main title. Okay. Um, so that's that's his theme. But it was they decided to rescore it with Ben's theme, with the Force theme, um, to give. So which one is Luke's theme? Is it? That's the Empire Strikes Back. That's that's the Rebel fanfare. Sorry. I mean the kind of keystones in this one. So you've got Luke's theme, which is and then you've got the Rebel fanfare, the that one, and then. Which is Princess why it's Leia. so prominent in the Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Yeah, and and in in that opening, but in the, in the opening battle of Star Wars, in on the uh, on the blockade runner, it's it's lo- there loads as well. Yeah, um, and yeah, halfway throughout the film as well. Um, and then you've got Princess Leia's, which is do 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 do. It's lovely. Um, yeah, Love and then <clears throat> the kind of there's a, there's a couple of imperial themes. Is like one which is like more for the the Death Star, which goes do 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 do, and there's and then there's another one that goes do 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 do, which is a bit more of a kind of subtle one. Um, but uh, yeah, just just the way that's used really helps identify those characters that you don't need. And it, and it gets it gets built on beautifully through the series. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I did the one sort of a couple of things I wanted to talk about before we went into the film. So the film itself, scene to scene, was um, we've talked a little bit about the influences. There's lots more to say over the weeks, I'm sure. Um, just a word on you mentioned uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie. Uh, mm. They had they held joint casting sessions. Yes. If you go and see, uh, I think it's in other places as well, but if you go and see the documentary Empire of Dreams, you can see William Catt reading to play um, Luke, and William Catt was Carrie's prom date. Tommy, is it, in Carrie? Yeah. I yeah. see got, that. You've got, I, think, I, I think it would have worked just fine, actually. <clears throat> um, you had Kurt Russell reading to play Han. Um, and the way we, we ended up with... Um, Harrison Ford was... Well, it could, have, it could have been Travolta. He was in Carrie. It could have been, yeah. Um, Christopher Walken was in the mix, I believe, although he's not in any of those extras. Yeah. But, but, just, but they, they were Harrison holding... Harrison Ford was basically from together. American Graffiti, wasn't it? I think that's how he... He was working as a carpenter. Yes. Yeah. It was Jesus. No, not really. <laughs> he, he was building a door. He was space so Jesus. He was, was just can... used to read opposite those readers. Yeah, just yeah. to test out the lines, really. And, and then, then they put other like, delivery. You're hired. Yeah, and a, just a real happy accident. I mean, yeah, I mean, if it had been Kurt Russell, I'm sure that would have worked fantastically well too. Yeah. Uh, there were alternate versions that would have been different, but would have worked. Mm. But it's just it would quite have been interesting. Indiana Jones as well? How would that would have worked out? 
Well, no, would, would have probably they would have bought, bought out Tom Selleck's. Yeah, it would have been Tom Selleck's. <laughs> They'd have pushed harder. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, who knows? Uh, it might still have been Harrison Ford. You don't know how they're. Right. In it fact, the reason they were unsure about Harrison Ford for Indy was George Lucas saying, "I don't want him to be my Robert De Niro." Yeah. Um, so actually, if he'd not been in Star Wars, he'd have been more likely to have been in the indie mix sooner. Funnily enough, mm. but um, yeah. So that that's. I just wanted to say that on casting that you can actually see that they that they read these people together, and you can see people who were in Carrie reading for this film, and certainly um, Kurt Russell was in was in the mix, um, and he also, I believe, wanted Orson Welles to voice Darth Vader. No, he, he played passionate. No, I'm going to do that Transformers film. I'm going to play a planet. <laughs> I'm going to do a Transformers film in nine years' time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then die. And then yeah, which, I've got it, which is basically a ripoff of Star Wars anyway. Um, I'm going to do any old toss for money. I'm surprised you didn't do it on that basis. No. I was trying to watch it with fresh eyes the other day, and this must have confused the shit out of anyone who wasn't extremely open-minded. Therefore frankly, young people, because there's very little context given, and everything you're watching is just weird compared to what you ever would have seen before. You have to take it as given, really, don't you? To take a lot of it, but like, okay. Shall we take it given, shall we take it as given sequentially, (laughs) folks? Let's discuss this film in a sequential manner. Yeah, I guess why not. The the only thing I will say, there, there does seem to be like a really independent spirit to it. Than, than the others there is a very much like a like it's very rough around the edges yeah but in yeah, a good even way. though it's set in space oh yeah absolutely like yeah. 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 Themes, i mean well, much. filming was a nightmare i mean george lucas did not direct either of the sequels um and he was mm-hmm. rushed to hospital with a suspected heart attack during the filming of this it just turned out to be exhaustion and anxiety all the stress yeah um this was a stressful shoot i mean they, they go to tunisia and all their sets and stuff get destroyed in a storm. Uh, they go to film R2-D2 and the bloody thing just won't move properly, so they have to film it all later at Death Valley. Um, it's it a is a question. Yeah. With R2-D2, what, what was the point of getting Kenny Baker just to sit in there for... <laughs> to give it personality. It, 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 how, how, how did that work, though? Like well, He, he moved, operated he it in the, in yeah, the early days. it was operated from within. Okay. He moved, yeah, because most most of it was operated by him, and he moved he moved it about. It was only kind of like a few scenes where they had like a remote control one. Mm-hmm. I was just I was just wondering. It was just that because where, he wanted to. Uh, yeah, I was would have thought when isn't it, isn't RT like controlled by a remote control and just put no. poor Kenny Baker in there? As just years like, went by, well, the, the, they always said that as years went by, they actually needed him less and less. But uh, to say that it was him, it's a great shame. They always used to have at least one scene in the film that was him inside it. But, um, yeah, I mean, over the years, there's been CG version and controlled versions, but back at this stage, it was a, it was a man in a suit, albeit mm. a robotic one. He used to control it. That must but, of course, been. it wouldn't move on sand and things like that. Yeah. that must and everyone got food lots. poisoning, as they always do. Exact, very like Raiders, where they all got dysentery, they all got po- food poisoning as well. So this wasn't an easy shoot, and... With Charlie, what Charlie just said about the editing, that cut them right down to the wire as well. And I don't think they were that far away from having the plug pulled. No, but I, I think it's testament to the film, the fact that um, you, you can see it's, it's it's got less of a budget, but 
some of the design like you see on the Death Star and some of the sets, I think it's just great. I think it just completely just stands out. Even the look of like stormtroopers and and and, well, and I, I, I don't think um, Ralph Macquarie had anything to do with the Death Star, but certainly if you if you listeners go and type in Ralph Macquarie Star Wars, you'll see the designs, and it's so close to what's in the final film. Um, R two D two in those not R two D two C three PO in those pictures looks much more like Metropolis, but it is it is. Yeah. I mean, actually, we, we've already mentioned uh, the Ralph Macquarie uh, influence during Star Trek because he drew that ship for the aborted phase no it wasn't it was a it wasn't for phase two it was for a film project but the ship on which the new discovery is based was designed by ralph Macquarie. so well worth going and looking up his work the tragedy was he was such a good artist and for the last countless years of his life he had parkinson's disease so he lost his ability to draw but he is on some of the extras from from back in the early earlier part of this century that he's on some of those extras and you can see he's impaired then, but his, his, his influence on this film can't be overstated. So with that, should we, uh, should we get on? Should we talk about this film sequentially? Yeah. So we start with the crawl, which immediately brings to mind sort of flash Gordon. And, and again, the 1930 serials where you'd go back for a different installment each weekend. And it would say chapter 37 or 13 or whatever it might have been. And you had that that crawl telling you where you are, reminding you where you what are and where you've come from. Yeah. Mm. But though so in the original, it didn't have the the episode. Like yeah. It was it was just Star Wars because that no, would have just confused be. everyone. Would have been like George uh, Lucas is an unreliable yeah. narrator on this stuff. Yeah. He always we are kind of starting like there, a media and the studio said no. Yeah. This, I, th- I think I think they didn't. They uh, what I've heard they didn't put it in there was because. They didn't know if there was going to be another one. They didn't think there was going to be another one because everyone thought this film was going to flop. Yeah. Um, so um, it wasn't put in until 1981 before Return of the Jedi came out. So the first time anyone saw any episode thing was on Empire Strikes Back, which must have been confusing as hell. Episode five. So, what yeah, happened here? Episode five. What, what, what the hell's going on? But it's it's <clears throat> it's it's ama- one of the amazing things is the way. It doesn't start at the beginning. That was the whole point. I mean, we're going to get it to just it. throws yeah. you in. When you go to the prequels, there, there wasn't a neat three episodes before this all worked out. But the whole point was just to start, as Becca said, in medium risk. Yeah. And kind of. it's just Ish. an amazing effect. Yeah. Um, now, I'd seen... I'd seen... Jedi first, which has kind of a similar shot at the start of it. This wasn't as mind blowing by the time I got to it, but now you look back over your film history, the, the you know the whole sense of scale, the, the how it's matted in with the sky and the planets around it. Um, it actually it has a it has a a realism to its look that you just weren't getting at this time. Certainly yeah, in lighting, because normally you'd have. The ships looking ridiculously wrongly lit against what else was yeah. in the sky. This was genius, particularly as you got two models that probably weren't that massively different in size, one going into the other. That's that's another thing that um, Ralph McQuarrie did was he did matte paintings for the planets. Yes, they're he's extraordinary he's and they're amazing. Him. And I'm I'm pretty sure he did ones for the Death Star as well. Um, yeah, and uh, so just, good. Like yeah. unless you look really closely. 
it's like I that mean, scene in Spy Love Me. Like, unless you look at it, you don't necessarily know or realise that it's a matte painting. Uh, yeah. you, mean, you mean at uh, you mean in in Cairo? Yes, when yeah, just before you see Jaws. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, um, I mean the the one is obviously with the models and everything and makeup and stuff. There was so much going on in these films. Um, I mean, makeup is especially um, Rick Baker um, worked on Star Wars, and there's a couple of cantina maps <laughs> in there where you see a couple of werewolf masks. Yeah, they look bad. They have been replaced, haven't they? The yeah, which mask. are kind of precursors, though, to, and they you can kind of tell as well. You look at it and you look at the Royal for American Wealth in London, and you can kind of see the evolution from there. Yes. Um, and, um, but the, the, the artistry of the matte paintings and the way what they did is they used to paint them on glass. And um, if for kind of some of the shots, they, they paint them on glass and then there'd, there'd be a, an area where they would project the film onto of what they wanted to be on there um, instead of doing it optically um, or the kind of previous way they did it. And there's, there's one shot in, in Return of the Jedi, which is kind of mind-blowing for the, the fact that it's a matte painting and the amount of live-action elements in, in the shot as well. Um, and like you said, yeah, so that, that opening shot with the ships going over and Tatooine and everything and the fact that that's all the painting and those are models, it's just, it's, it's kind of... I can't see it now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I still can't see that now. It's extraordinary. It's a really cracking effect. It didn't have the, quite the wow factor for me simply because I'd seen something similar at the start of Jedi and also I would have seen this, I think, probably at home first. Mm, yeah. And again, by the time you go to see the special editions, cinema was able to do stuff like this. Independence yeah. Day had come out and all the rest of it. So I'm not denying the wow factor. I'm saying I'm unfortunate in that I, ne- I never got to experience it yeah. in quite that way. But I have to say the first reveal of Vader is wonderful. Absolutely. Um, and it, again, it just completely implies there the, uh, the kind of the sense of pure evil. Uh, the just, fear as well. In the, just, um, yeah, well, that's just it. He's like a domineering presence. Um, I mean, his, his, his first actual scene, he literally picks someone up on the neck and um, and snaps it. Just from like, tell me what, tell me, tell me what I want to know. No, uh, and he just wait. The way he just um, like orders everyone about. I mean, I think uh, David Prowse gets um, gets a lot of praise, but I, but for me, I think what really makes it is uh, James Earl Jones' voice. Yeah, he really has those kind of deep, yeah. menacing tones, doesn't he? Really. Although he, he's he is stronger in the films that follow, because he, even he, as just a voice, had to find his mm. characterization. Yeah. So <clears> where <throat> he says "take her away," yeah, that actually comes off sounding very slightly petulant. Um, but I mean, the voice, they couldn't have picked. It a sounds better. very aggressive, isn't it? It's like they couldn't pick a yeah in his delivery. Voice. I don't know who you could have picked who would have been any better than this. No, yeah. it's like you, you a perfect marriage of voice and physicality. Obviously, two different actors, as we know. Um, but it's, it's more than two. Know, one of the most like, iconic villain. Yeah, two different actors. Yeah, obviously, um, iconic combinations of, of all time, really. So. Well, in a few in the coming weeks, we've got Bob Anderson in there as well. Mm, yeah. Definitely. But well, I think in regards to his actually voice actor, um, the the scene that made me feel oh, actually, I, I he's really good is the um, scene where he's like. 
uh, suffocating the other officer. You know, yeah, like, terrifying. Find yeah. Him, like a faith disturbing. And it, it, oh, he, he, he never overplays it. That's what I really thought. Oh, he's 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 not like hamming it up. He's he's. He, he says it in a way that's really just like you, you know you're beginning to piss me off now, and there's just the real, there's a real <laughs> yeah, sense of menace yeah. there. But it, 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 that breathing effect. But we've got to give so many. There's so many people to praise during all of this. That's the wonderful amazing, thing. Isn't it? so, so much I mean, Char- Charlie talked as you would expect, and rightly so, about John Williams. But then we talked about Ralph McQuarrie, and you've just mentioned James Earl Jones. But then we mentioned the physicality. But Ben Burt's design of yeah. the breathing. Mm, definitely. But this would be nothing without that. As that guy is choking, the sound drops out, and you can just hear it, the slight choking sound. But that constant of the breath the breathing vader's breathing behind it it's genius and it's we take it for granted because it's always been there i think he did use i think he did use like a um aqualung type equipment didn't yeah he, yeah yeah scuba tank thing yeah yeah and obviously as we go on into the film later on we're go, you know we'll, we'll get to lightsabers and all that and so much praise to be given to this guy um mm. but they're, they're ripping apart this ship to try and get plans for the Death Star. Yeah, we get introduced to um, the two droids, um, uh, R two D two and C three PO, and uh, they're like they're like wondering, oh no, what what what's going to happen? Uh, and then we see uh, Leia. Um, we see her hand, and then we yeah. do see her on a wider shot. If R two D two something in a dark corner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Sorry, I forgot we were on expectors to talk for a moment. We've <laughs> <laughs> got a whole hour without any dick joke. Oh, Becca! <laughs> well, yeah. it's going it's to be just like the film is. It's going to be sort of set up, set up, set up, and then just action, action, action. So we're all just like intelligent talk, intelligent talk, intelligent talk. Dick just joke. delf. <laughs> credits. Delf. In credits, yeah. Boobs. Um, but yeah, no, they give... Um, <laughs> she, she gives... Uh, are to like well what is then known to be the, the plans and uh, they decide to go on a skate pod and uh, and thankfully it doesn't get shot down because there's no life forms on there which I always think of like that family guy yeah like, you know, like what are we saving with lasers like you don't know the budget Gary I do what are we on the beach <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah if, it's um, like, if, if for some reason, if any listeners of ours haven't encountered the Family Guy Star Wars, go and seek it out. It's absolutely hilarious. Whether you like Family Guy or not, I mean, chances are, if you're, if you're a fan of Star Wars and if you listen to us, you'll have that kind of humour, like Simpsons, Family Guy, things like that. Can't recommend it highly enough. It's so clever. And so not funny. only that, if you haven't got time to watch the films, they yeah, do actually, they do actually cover shorthand. the plot of the film. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect true. shorthand. Yeah. Go and um, seek it out. Hilarious. Great kid, don't get penisy. <laughs> <laughs> don't get, don't get testy. That's what it was. Penisy. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, All right. Yeah, don't get penisy. Yeah, and what was the other line? I bet you you couldn't uh, you couldn't stand to let a fat guy like me out of your sight. <laughs> um, I like the one um, when Chris comes in. He goes, "I knew, I knew a little fat four store trooper." <laughs> <laughs> or something along those lines. I think it's uh, uh, yeah. Um, I just I just love the airplane quote where like uh, Quagmire C three PO goes and Lois again. Lois getting larger. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, and Cleveland is R is um, as R two basically like fuck this shit. You know, just <laughs> swearing all the time. Yeah, I was thinking that's what's missing with R two D two, just swearing. Uh, yeah, it could just be going effing and jeffing all the time, but no, it's just bloop bloop bloop. Yeah. Don't you know he's wearing? Well, that's well, it. Yeah. How do we know? He could be 
Yeah. Could be filthy. It could be, you know, really. I mean, like, uh, C3PO is like a, a little bitch, really. I mean, like, he, he's so annoying. I think he's so just a whiny. I was going to say piece of shit, but that's a bit harsh. But he is a bit of a whinge bag, let's face it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> but that's what makes him so endearing, though, the fact that he is. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was thinking, like, I kept thinking of this in the um, in Temple of Doom. And I kept thinking if like if this was a whole, if it was oh, he, Kate Catchall sure d- deliver, yeah, okay, deli- sure. yeah, delivering the same lyrics, it'll be unsufferable. It's like, oh, I say R two, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on, on, on all sorts, but moaning, complaining. It's just like, oh, shut up. Um, it was a brilliant performance, though. I think you know, like Kenny Bickett is three PO. Um, no, that's wrong. Is R two? And is you know. Can you imagine a really tiny C-3PO walking alongside this massive truck? <laughs> yeah, that'd be what we'll also get a mixed up to. I'm sure this, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right, no. You know, I've transposed the other two names. I know what I'm on about. Okay, so back to the plot of the fucking films for a bit. <laughs> they, um, yeah, they end up in the desert. I keep in order. Something's not right here. Um, <laughs> I'm so not going that way. You they, go that have, way. She claims to be on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. She is a princess. I think we're told she's a princess at that point. She is basically taken by the Empire uh, because she won't reveal where the plans are. They're told to sort of rip the ship apart to find out. Now, it's now obvious to me that it's the plans they've put into R2-D2. But for years, I thought it was just the message. Um, I don't mean in the whole... F- I, I mean, obviously, we know it is the plans because we find mm. them from him later but I mean every time I watch the film afresh it's not clear to me that the film is telling me that um, but yeah they put the plans in and then uh, they fire out an escape in an escape pod and land on Tatooine which is a desert planet and uh, yeah uh, they both argue and as soon as they land they start arguing go their separate ways and then they both get caught by the same people um, pretty much, they get they caught by. They, they basically get caught by. Um, I, I don't know what you call them. The kind of like Jawas. Jawas. Yeah. I like the cord. I mean, they, they, yeah. they, they kind of go around sort of picking up scraps and selling them off, really, don't they? <laughs> they were little buggers because yeah. obviously they had like. Hey, little I, I, I assume it was short actors at the at the um at the secret cinema Star Wars, but literally they will try to rob you. Like the amount of things they tried to steal from me and my friends that when they were just little gets basically it was it was really fun. It was great fun to interact with. Them. Well, <laughs> it's, well, the actual it's really fun fun to get no, not actual, no, but obviously actors <laughs> playing Jawas. I I do think so, you know, I would hope it was assaulted, actors, but, but it was all a laugh. <laughs> Um, yeah, not real, not real. It's fantasy. I would just love the actors on the DVD. Rebecca Andrews, do you expect us to talk? Those Jawas are little buggers. <laughs> well, no, I just think it was, it was really fun. I mean, we'll talk more of it because it was, it was um, episode five that was screened. Um, but it's just it's really fun to kind of watch that film and then have it, that kind of live event. You know, obviously, you sit, get off with a just, just, like, you have that kind of like you know in front of you. I just think it helps it come alive really and. Mm. I just think it's a, very, it's a very magical experience, and I'm sure you know fans of um, Dirty Dancing would say the same sort of thing when they went to you know that, that event that summer. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're ever going to do Deep Throat <laughs> <laughs> after dark, Super Cinema after dark. All, 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 all I took away from that was like it, it's okay to steal Becca's wallet as long as you're acting. As long as you're a dwarf. Well, no, it's like it's really you know they managed to capture that sort of character like perfectly and you know the actors even they try to inhabit a character they kind of 
they have to kind of be true to that, don't they? So, but you know, everyone did it really, really well, and it was just a great experience. But um, it was just, it was really funny. I'm just, I'm just getting tips here. It's like, so what's so who, who was it who, who robbed you? Uh, oh, I don't know, but he didn't mean Christopher Walken. Uh. <laughs> Java number one. <laughs> <laughs> There's this little guy in a cloak. Yeah, but he was really good. He made a good impression and helped bring bring it alive. But luckily, well, he didn't, you know, it didn't actually rob, but there's obviously things that I didn't need, so. <laughs> like, I don't need credit cards, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, no, we, we had to bring certain items with us. And they what, were like, so, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Family <it was>. heirlooms. Bank <laughs> statements. Bits of passwords. Credit cards. <laughs> And, and like strangely, my worn panties. I, I don't know why. <laughs> they like physical money, so we have to use cards and stuff like that. But no, it's all it's just just helps to create, you know, helps to kind of bring the event alive. That's awesome. This is not the film we're discussing. Oh, I know. I think it's interesting. <laughs> you can chop this bit out. No, I won't. No, but no. Like, let's spin on a bit. <laughs> the thing I noticed, though, obviously we're going to have to talk about some of the changes as we go through. Um, yeah. uh, the most of the stuff of. of uh, R2-D2 was uh, shot in Death Valley, which uh, is one of the hottest places on Earth, so you didn't have a much better time there. But um, uh, the, the special editions have, have repeatedly um, changed the, the, the cuts and stuff over the years. Uh, where I'm spinning on a bit far here, but when he's hidden behind rocks now, he couldn't physically have got in there. So yeah, there's well, lots of there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's the shot of um, of uh, Artu when when um, he first goes in the uh, in the valley, and originally it was just a straight shot, and now in this it's like a beautiful sunset, and it pans down to it, and it's just like, what's the point? You didn't need it at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they they end up uh, they end up both captured by Jawas and sold to Owen Lars. Yeah, we get introduced by um, Tilu, don't we? And then uh, yeah, they uh, whiny little twat. <laughs> at this point, yeah, I just want to go out and buy power converters. Well, fuck yeah. you! You're gonna do on the farm instead. You feel? I feel? I suddenly feel like playing in the sort of uh, Shatner sketch from SNL. Have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Power converters, but yeah, it's a moisture farm. I don't think I knew what time. I don't think I twigged that for a while because mm. obviously they're on a planet that's basically barren. Um, and he's being asked to stay another series where, he, where another season where he wants to go to the academy, which is quite funny because that would have been the Empire. Exactly. Yeah, mm. I always thought that was quite. This funny. future could have been very different. Yeah. yeah no, but, um, I'm, I thought of that. So is that definitely the case then? You like the academy is the empire yeah. of basically there's there's a, there's a deleted scene that was cut out where um, he did go to um, see all his friends, and um, one of them that was there um, is Biggs, who we see later in the film as a as an X-wing pilot, um, who was Luke's friend back on Tatooine, and you see and look, ever so slightly like Dallas from Alien. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and he's there, and he tells Luke um, that he's defecting from the Empire to join the Rebel Alliance in that scene. And then that kind of adds further impetus to Luke wanting to go off. 
Yeah, but he's all his friends are going off and having adventures. It, it, yes. It's a little bit, it's a wonderful life, actually. George stays at home while all his contemporaries go. Mm. Because he's needed at home for the family mm. business. It's it's very, it's a wonderful life, actually, that bit. Uh, yeah, because we don't actually get to see any of that stuff with, like, his, his friends and stuff going off. We only really get told that from him going like, oh, but, you know. Well, I mean, he's, I, I think you don't really need it. I mean, I don't think it would have done any harm to put it in, by the way. But yeah. you don't you don't massively need it just because Luke's loneliness is pretty well sown. I mean, he's on a he's on a pretty barren planet anyway. That's extremely flat and featureless, and he's living with a couple of middle aged people who aren't his parents, and show no levity. They're clearly staying quiet about stuff. Yeah. You know, it, uh, Owen's whole body language is just <laughs> don't ask me anything. It, yeah. It's really at the dinner table. He's like, no, nope, we just do that. Yeah, and so you, forget you, it. you can feel Luke's loneliness. He's got no, you know, in some Limits respects. Around. Well, no, it, well, he did deleted scenes, but they're going anyway. Yeah. Either way you cut it, you either put that scene in and his mates are leaving him or you take it out and he doesn't have any mates and the effect is much the same. But but there's also that scene between where he has kind of, where he has his dinner and what have you, um, where you have him saying, I want to submit my academy. And then you, and then he said, when he gets up and says, that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left. And then you have Biru say, um, most of it is gone. Oh yes. Yes, you're right. It is in dialogue. Yeah. So it's in dialogue there. And then the way it leads to that scene, but you can see his frustration as well when he's, um, cleaning up Archer and 3PO. I know, and, and he's dressed like he does karate or something, and he's not even getting to go on <laughs> and get out of people. Bear in mind, this would have been filmed through sort of 75 and 76, and the kung fu phrase was 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 just around here. I think there's a bit of Kurosawa in it. I think there's a bit of lots of different Oh, yeah, I think it's it. more kind of samurai kind but, of but certainly clothing. It's that sort Kimono's of thing where people of... were wearing that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just he's, he's just not a farmer, Owen. Yeah, yes, too much of his father in him. A lot of foreboding, though. That's what I'm afraid of. So, yeah. That's the last we hear of his father in this series, so I wouldn't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we cross cut quite effectively with those lovely wipes between them and the droids trying to find their way. And eventually, just to spin on a bit, the droids end up in the. the, um, They end up being bought by. Oh. Yes, um, thankfully uh, the droid they're originally going to um, buy broke down. On Why Patreon. would you choose that one? It looks shit. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just you, you got what you asked for. You, you asked for that, really. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it, thankfully the otherwise the series wouldn't have happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, <so I> but, <laughs> but 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 what what makes me laugh is like when so when when after when the C. C-3PO uh, persuades Luke to get R2, but you know, not by much, just by pointing him out. Hey, he's new droid. Oh yeah, he'll do. Uh, he's like sort of like, don't expect me to stick my neck out with you ever again. Yeah. And, uh, kind of, kind of, <laughs> like, why are you being such a fucking bitch? Why are you? Being... <laughs> yeah, well, it's a lovely little touch with the character because it wasn't meant to be this this prissy British character. Yeah, um, it really wasn't. So. Um, I mean, I always heard well, they talk hate of it. Each other in real life, didn't they? It was they did supposed to be a used car dealer, kind of, which I just can't picture at all. Yeah, 
I'm picturing Lister's confidence from confidence and paranoia. <laughs> weird. But um, early Red Dwarf episode, folks. Um, yeah, uh, and then, yeah, over... So C-3PO's always happy to take the path of least resistance, so he's in a comfortable home where he can have sort of an oil bath and, you know, get himself mm. cleaned up. So he's quite happy. But R2, as soon as sun is about to go down, disappears. And it's because he's trying to find Obi-Wan Kenobi. But then there's the message. Ah, Before we get yes, too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're getting skipping ahead here a little bit. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so he he finds the, uh, or cleaning him, he finds the hologram from... Um, and, and again, you can tell Luke gets really excited once he finds out that they're on, they were in the Rebel Alliance and that they've been with that and say, have you been in many battles and things like that? Oh, she's um, beautiful. She's a sister. And then <laughs> see some. And then, and I don't know that yet. The hologram or just a little bit of the hologram. Yeah, I, on what basis he thinks she's beautiful when it's this fucking fuzzy little thing, you know? Yeah, I found that a bit hard to believe. I was like, how well, is he might, He's just looking at the vague shape of her and going, woman. I don't know. I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was looking at today and on the, I was watching the, the despecialised edition. I've got, I've had that. I don't think I've still got a copy. And, uh, and it, that, it, that's you, basically the original films recreated in relatively abs- high def. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can you can see kind of like you can see her face there, yeah. And you can see her quite clearly. I think it's just um, to come yeah, to, obviously later on we have the rivalry, you know, four layer between Han and oh, yeah, So yeah, I think yeah, she said yeah. that up really, isn't it? So to be fair, like you know, given his situation, anything resembling like a life form like him would be like, whoa, yes, you're all over it. <laughs> so I mean, uh, I, I can't. You, don't, you never see any other females in that area that are not like alien. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 nice to see how it starts to put it together. So he says he seems to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's a private message for him. And then Luke mentions that when he's having dinner, and he said... wonder if he means old Ben. Yeah. <clears throat> and then going from there, and then Owen just kind of puts it off and saying, he knew my father. And uh, again, anything, obviously they have... A, what, what they've told him about Luke has not satisfied his curiosity about who his dad really was, and you can kind of see the uh, see the things in 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 there and kind of the impetus. And then, if I was Owen, I, I'd be off practicing my body language. Yes, you know, I, I'd go to my room with a mirror, sit down in front of it, and practice answering questions, not looking like a shitty bastard. Yeah, not looking too miserable. Because <laughs> all the way through, he's like, "I told you, I said, drop it." <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably just been asked every single day, and he's just like over the years now, he's just come like he's yeah. like, oh for fuck's sake, and, and, then, again, <laughs> and then again, this is why people are so pissed off all the time because R two just decides to hightail it out of there um, on his own special mission to, to find Obi Wan and uh, deliver his message. So Luke and three P have to go after him and. Uh, run into the sand people. Mm-mm. They make a really terrifying noise. Mm. 
Which is actually um, a rocked shot. That's uh, I think. Uh, what's the, yeah. Forget what the stuntman's called. But that bit where you do see him on the special features. But that bit where he's kind of like almost like so, lords it over Luke as he knocks him down. Peter That's Diamond. Just, it's just I knew it was Peter, but I can I didn't know the surname. And actually, now you've said it, I don't remember that name. So maybe I never <laughs> actually knew beyond Fun Peter. Fact, but yeah, it, they rock that shot. The, the arm going up and down. He only did it once. No, that's yeah. clever. And the, and the way it just goes from that and then cuts to the next scene is amazing. And then there's the shot Dave mentioned earlier, where what the f- why the fuck they did it, I have no idea. But where R2 hides in a little alcove of rocks and watches the, the same people drag an unconscious Luke um, and leave him and then start messing around with the land speeder. But in the special edition, there's all these ridiculous digital rocks in front of him that he could never have got through in the first place. And it's just like, why are you fucking doing this to us? It's so, so uh, the thing is, uh, as a quality of effect, we've, we've come a long way. The rocks look like they were always there. Oh, yeah. But he yeah, physically I mean, could not have got in there. No, had the, yeah, were those rocks no. actually there? He could not fit in that small space. Whereas before, he just sort of he hid in a little alcove. It was fine. Yeah, he had like a dark shadow, and it's like, well, that, and, that's, and that's, 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 enough, more that's all we need to see. Yeah. And what's the point? What's the point? They weren't interested in him. They were only interested in his ship. Yeah. In his land speeder. Yeah, they just want his speeder. Yeah. So there was no. There's no point. No story necessity in anywhere to that to that addition. No. Um, find that's the case with many of the ones that many of the changes i mean yeah the worst thing about the changes is the the, the changes where they fundamentally change a scene and change storytelling and the flow of the film and there's a few of those the effects Mm. ones in principle i think well if you want to go in and clean your bloody film up fine as long as you give us the original well a they don't give us the original and b most of many of the changes are now decades old themselves yeah and they look terrible and yeah, the, the kind of it's like, and then you have Obi Wan coming who disrupts the 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 sand people, and again the effect the effect the, the strange scary noise that he gives off That's has been, been changed. changed twice. That's been changed, yeah. Well, what was it originally? Originally, it was just kind of like the, it was it was outtakes of Tuscan Raider noise, sand people noise. Okay, so it's like an impression of like of, yeah. Uh, right. That kind of thing. It's more, if I remember right, it's more like a weird sort of... But it also looks weird how he's like, he looks he looks very unthreatening just flapping his arms around. Like yeah, that. he just looks like a crazy old man. But he looks yeah. like sort of a uh, inflatable wackily arm favour. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, in, in, yeah, so the, the, the one that was in the original special edition in... I think um, in two, 1997 and possibly the, the the DVD in 2004 is different than the one that's in the Blu-ray now. Yeah, it was really, uh, to be honest, I, I noticed the changes less in the previous two. When the Blu-ray came out, they made it such a longer, odder sounding thing that it yeah. really stood out. When they did it for the Blu-ray, it was like, well, have they done that there? Whereas before, it wasn't a, a change that massively stood out to me. No. So then we meet Obi Wan, and one of the one of the, the things I love about Star Wars, the the first film, is that people aren't sure how to pronounce things yet, so no. it's always Obi Wan. Yes, yeah, I know it's a new, isn't it? So I've yeah, not heard that on. Yeah, and ha- and later Han Solo says Corellia. 
instead of Corelli and things like that. Yeah. So uh, that's I never picked quite up on that. Now, there's one change here that never, ever gets mentioned as a, an undesirable change, and I fucking hate it. The establishing shot of Ben's home. Because in the special edition, it looks like he lives in some degree of comfort. Yeah. In the original, it was just a little house, really. Yeah. Um, and that's more appropriate for a guy living under the radar. He, would, he wouldn't have some fucking, you know, it was almost like beachfront property last time. It wasn't, it wasn't by water. <laughs> but, it, but in the new version, it's at the top of a nice cliff with a lovely view. And I don't like it. I wish they'd left that. There was no reason. And it wasn't until that was one of the changes I'd actually forgotten. And it's only when I watched the spe- despecialized editions, I was like, that's much better. It looks much older and tar- more tired, hmm. but, but that's the do. fucking point. Yeah. But yeah. And then it leads to probably one of the very iconic scenes of this film. In fact, I remember when the episode three teaser came out. Yeah. And it was a voiceover from him. And it's just like, oh, that's fucking perfect. Love this scene. I've always loved this scene. Uh, very exposition heavy. There's not an easy way around that, but... Um, I, have to, it, I think it's one of the main points. You do have to explain quite a lot of information. Introducing him to the Force, to lightsabers, <laughs> to a version of the truth about his father, to who he is. I'd just like to backtrack a little bit and say the scene with the binary sons is one of the most beautiful ever committed to uh, celluloid. Anyway, thank you for that. Oh, I can't disagree. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's... But I think if I had one pick at the film and it's not really a pick it's just it's just something that is that I can notice when you think it's the first Star Wars film uh, going back to when it was originally released it would be a bit hard to set up the whole Jedi thing and the lightsabers um, without actually picking up actually doing anything with it uh, so it's only really sort of like the idea of the force being like a a thing they can use. That's the only thing that's kind of like uh, they 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 actually set up and utilize with. Whereas, like, um, I, d- I disagree. I mean, we don't get the sort of lightsaber battles that are to come. Yeah, but he introduces him to the Force. Uh, we see the Force mind trick. We do see a lightsaber fight. It's, it's one of the weaker in the series because it's the first. Um, but we see a lightsaber fight, so we 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 actually see the thing he introduced to you, Luke being used, although we don't see Luke use one. Um, and later in the film, when he disappears, we are at least teased the idea of the Force ghost because he's able to still talk to Luke. And we are, we do see Luke using it with the training as well, and also using the idea of um, reaching out force. with his feelings. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I just, I just thought if this, if it was, just, if this was the only film. Uh, it would feel a little undeveloped. It would feel like, oh, I wonder what they would have done with that. That you know, yeah, I can't disagree with that. To be fair, um, but that, that, it was, it's only that sort of caveat when I think of some, like films and when they stand on their own, and that that's the only thing. However, this, I think, the fact that um, Luke uses like the Force to blow up the Death Star is enough, really, to kind of like to get to get by with. Um, but anyway, that, that's my only real caveat, really, about the whole um, setting up the whole Jedi thing. Then when's his Jedi stuff going to get involved? So, having waited 19 years for the right time to, you know, find Luke and introduce him to what might be his destiny, if that was indeed <laughs> yeah, that, his plan all along, 
he, bas- <laughs> he basically he, he could have sold timeshares. This guy, I, mean, I reckon, because he's he's big on the hard sell, isn't he? I mean, so it, it, what, what also what I did think about is, and I can't blame this film for being made at that time for this. For it's all pretty much aimed at the prequels. But why is it that Obi Wan spent that whole like nineteen years or however long it was? Uh, to, to not do anything with Luke to train him and all of a sudden he's like he turns up with RTD team and goes yeah, like, well, well time? I, I'm going to train you now it's like well uh, I mean there's some story that's not been filled in there yet but yeah. um, of, uh, to my way of thinking there would have been an extremely um, dangerous period after Order 66 Order 66 being the, the order to from the Emperor to hunt down the Jedi at yeah, so the end of episode 3 into hiding, really. so 19 years before the episode the this film basically um, now I would now there was a period of time where they were hunt, trying to hunt down the remaining Jedi hmm. I don't imagine you'd want to piss around with the force in that time no. and also if, if he started teaching the force to Luke there um, it's possible then that Vader could have sensed him. Sensed him there. I mean, yeah, there I... are problems with this because he's, you know, he's he's called oh, Skywalker, yeah, yeah. and we later find out he's taken to a place Anakin knew well and knew a Skywalker lived, and you know, there are problems that that George only makes worse later. But at this point, but um, the idea that he's just been kind of a silent protector. Yeah, Dark I Knight. think. I think yes. Uh, <laughs> a watchful guardian, a silent protector, a Dark Knight. Yeah, he will have been. He's he, just been he, quietly watching. Batman, basically. It's no accident. It's no. It's no accident. Obi Wan's on the same planet as him. He, yeah, he's not the hero he wants, but the hero he deserves. But obviously, as Luke says, they have met. So it's not the. It's not. I wonder the first if he means old bed. He's a guy that's been seen around. Yeah, and he says, and and and. Ben recognises him immediately and says, Luke, what are you doing out here? So they've obviously met before. I'm laying on the floor, I'm conscious, what are you up to? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they have. I I think in terms of this film, it kind of works. You you know, you you kind of have to read it as in uh, Owen would, like, Obi-Wan would have have wanted to do something, like, in, in, in terms of force training, but... Uh, Owen was dead against it, so that's probably why he. The fir- well, the first thing would be keep Luke safe. Yeah, so he's put yeah. in with his family. Uh, the second thing is, um, and again, this is this is a retrofit later, and I don't like doing that. But Obi Wan has training of his own to do in that period, uh, and the main thing is just to watch him, just watch yeah. him develop, see if he does show force sensitivity. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. He's been watching him and he's been asking around and it's okay. Again, later on, and you've got to think because the same man's reused the idea, um, Anakin as a young boy is a particularly good pilot. Why? Because he's force sensitive. Mm. So we can infer from later on that there's an element of he's what he's looking to see how talented Luke is with the force and stuff like that. And he's just watching to see if he's safe. Yeah. So it works by that. So where do we go from here? Uh, we go to, isn't it? Um, well, it's, it's where Ben asks, Ben sees the whole hologram. That's right. So we're says, introduced properly to Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and, and you realise he was a general in the Clone Wars. Hmm. And again, that's that's the, I, this is what I love. 
and why kind of like the prequels piss me off so much um, is because how evocative those few the few things that are said in this scene about what had happened previously, and it's and it's always and then kind of what was extrapolated from that to become what it was, and obviously things have changed in George's mind as well. But just this scene and the picture it paints um, is just incredible. And, and I liked it as the idea of a time in a world we, we'd never see. Yeah, yeah. You know? The fact is, if you're going to go on doing sort of n- numbered Star Wars episodes now, then to not have episodes one to three there would be odd. But in the context of this, this film, I never wanted the fucking prequels. You know, <laughs> filling in, you know, t- just to connect sort of us the to this point. In a way. Yeah, I think so. I think Charlie's made a really good point there about that. But we've been introduced to lightsabers, introduced to the Force introduced to um the fact that there's a rebellion we we know that and we know that they need to go and rescue this princess yeah and and the concept of the jedi knights as well so obi-wan fighting in the clone wars and then telling luke about who his father really was i was a jedi the same as your father he was a cunning warrior and he was the best star pilot in the galaxy he was also a good friend just yeah. don't watch the prequels. Because <laughs> <laughs> it proves none of that. <laughs> Except in one bit of fucking banter in a fucking... <laughs> it was a good uh, friend. I like the idea... Of... Oh, sorry, no, go ahead. No, go on. No, I, I just think it's interesting, the whole idea of... Um, what was, you know, who was like Anakin, basically, and stuff. It's, it's like Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? Obviously, the two separate entities. Because Ben kind of speaks to them as if... You know, yeah, um, Darth Vader murdered your father, so as if they're two separate people. Yeah. I just think that's, that's a nice touch. I know, and that's stating the obvious, but I just think it's a nice touch. Yeah, no, that's a great touch. It really is. Um, and then that's and then when the hologram comes along and he says, I need your help, she needs your help, I'm getting too old for this. Um, and then Luke's like, I can't do it because I've got work to do. <laughs> and that's then, your um, uncle speaking. And I think it's it's interesting as well that um, we're not. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. Um, I'm guessing it is in in that part with her. Um, but the, the death does not given a massive amount of fanfare when it's first shown because it's shown directly after that. After that. Moments. Yes, it is. So, um, yeah. We've got so, real. We we know it's something we can self-evidently tell it's big. Yeah, because um, uh, it's it's and we know it's new. Yeah, we see a star destroyer going towards it. Because um, yeah, because isn't that because you because you get that scene and and Luke's, and he and Obi Wan's like you must do what's right, of course, mm. and or, what you feel is right, and then it cuts to the Death Star, and then they have the uh, the chat about the Death Star and its actual power. And then it makes sense about Darth Vader, and it's just, that's where I think this. I think the script, to be honest with you, is is there's a little more praise that it sometimes gets because Star Wars is kind of seen as kind of like a, a kind of a film that's that's not much on the script level. But when you see it kind of interlinking these things together, mm. and where Obi Wan has told Luke about. Um, about his father, about the Force, and about Darth Vader, 
and then cutting to Darth Vader and then kind of slowly bringing the end. Using the Force as well to and, sort of and, demonstrate what... Yeah, what and, build, and building his character. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget as well that mm. Vader's not the main villain. It's someone we haven't really kind of even talked about, which is Tarkin. Yeah, he really holds the best strings, doesn't he? Well, holds yeah, the yeah. Strings, whatever you want to call it. But, but I mean, this scene is, is kind of firstly an example of, of what's going on with the uh, <coughs> with the, uh, the, the Death Star and also how Vader works. And also, um, this is where Tarkin says um, the, em- the Emperor has dissolved the Senate permanently. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's quite ominous. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, the famous, I find your lack of faith disturbing scene. Well, it, the, cool. the most important thing with that to me is the, the fact that there is an emperor. There's a scale to all of this that we're, we're only seeing a part of. Yeah, we just kind of like see it like a fleeting mention of the emperor. I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think the actual dissolving of the Senate is, is that important other than... They gain more power. Um, yeah. I think it's the fact that they are about. They now think they have got the tool to end any rebellion anyway. So why would you yeah. need any kind of conversation or appeasement of anybody when you now yeah. have the ultimate power? So it is relevant, but had they never said it, it wouldn't have hurt this film. Yeah, I just guess because it links back as well to where Princess Leia says I'm part of the Imperial Senate. Yeah. Well, he's dissolved it, so you're nobody now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and of course... Um, yeah, we, we do see, and I love um, what's this, the Peter Cushing in this. It's brilliant. It's Fantastic. Um, they had a bit of problem when they tried to recreate him for Rogue One because there were no shot of his legs or feet. Um, and the reason being, Peter Cushing just wandered around in slippers all the time. Yeah, he found the question quite comfortable, com- didn't yeah, he? So he, 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 he walked up with I, I hope it was pink, fluffy ones just for. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so too. It, it, it is now. We've said it on a podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. Fun fact, folks, he actually wore pink fluffy slippers. So they went to... All right, this is the bit where I, I struggle to remember. Now, they go and find where the droids were purchased. Yeah. And it's been shot to shit. Yeah. And Luke works out they need to... Oh, my God, that will yeah. lead them back, back home. Yeah. What led them go? What led them to go to look where the droids were bought in the first place? Why did they go there? I can't remember. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming they just kind of uh, came across it. They're kind of following right. the trail of carnage, really, because, weren't because, they? Because, yeah, because there's, there's, no, there's nothing in there that says... We best go and look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it it's, it's cut off a kind of at a, uh, at a cliffhanger anyway when, when Luke isn't... Luke's kind of wondering about what to do. Obi-Wan wants him to do that, but we don't, we're not sure if he's going to go to that imperial scene and then when it cuts back they found it okay. so presumably they, they just okay so I'm, I'm not going mad it's not actually there no that explanation okay and it leads them home and actually for for one of the more sort of um, you know aspirational of the Star Wars films the one that a young kid would watch and go <laughs> I'd like to be like Luke uh, charred remains I tell that's what, very grim isn't it I, I'm pretty sure you know, going to see the, like the epic re-releases back in the nineties. I don't recall seeing that on the big screen. This is something that's quite shocking. No, it was there. No, it was there. there. I mean, obviously the, blanked the, it out. The funny, the funny thing is, is that up until um, the the prequels, up until I think it was Attack of the Clones, these films were a U. They were. They were. Yeah, that's a good point. And they, actually. And they still remain, I believe, a U. 
um, the films themselves. And it was Attack of the Clones was PG, I think. Mm. And, and then, then the PG-13. The Sith was PG-13. Yeah. Or 12A. Do we have a 12A? Yeah. Do we have, yeah. Yeah. Um, they get more yeah, and more aggressive as they go along. They, yeah, well, no, that's I, just that's just the sweet spot for Hollywood marketing now. You sure. want your yeah. film to be a 12A or a PG-13. Yeah. Heaven forbid, NC-17. We, they wouldn't have an NC-17, would they? No, no obviously not. <laughs> Nobody would go see it. I would. 18 oh, meters. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, I'm be, not I'd be right in there to see that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you've got... The, yeah. Um, and again, the, the music that's used when he, go, when he goes to them is the Force theme, is Ben's theme. Um, so again, it's kind of pushing this whole idea of his future ahead of him. Yes, but it just means the casual viewer thinks that's Luke's thing. Yeah, big big um, And then yeah, the, the skeletons is a, that's really really nasty. I mean, you it's see it at a distance, but it is bloody obvious what it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's not that much of a distance really. You know, it's watching it when I was watching it, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's still. I, I think the fact that just by the steps. Yeah. yeah, it just, just means that, you know, because it's not like you've seen the blasters at work, so they don't like just sort of like hit you and then you turn to a skeleton, like almost like a Dalek type thing. Um, it you know, they, they, they are just like used like regular bullets, so they must have literally just been burnt to death. Yeah, they which is just horrible. Just, just set the thing on set the whole thing on fire because it was smoking. Awful. Yeah. As he, as he pulled up still. They would have been tortured for information as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Don't go into it. What do you mean? Don't go into it. It's just a film, Becca. Don't mean it happened. I know, I know. Um, and then, and then it goes back to the Death Star and Princess Leia. Yeah. And um, Darth Vader and his truth bot. And I, this always has always stood out for me, the way, um, the way this kind of Nahanis you will tell us the location of your hidden rebel base and there's the close up of the syringes on the robot her face and then the way the camera cuts with the door sliding down to the floor and then it goes down quite fast doesn't it like, yeah and, and then and then walking up the corridor it's amazing it's just like how many films of this kind do you see shots like that happening you really don't yeah it's, it's just yeah, very different yeah it's always stood out to me and then Luke comes back and they're all burning Jawas on a bonfire. <laughs> well, yeah, they're just burning the robes. It's a bit, yeah. But, well, yeah. Jawas s'mores. And yeah. it's the... Uh, there's nothing from here now. I want to run away from the and become a Jedi like my father. Yeah, which is quite an articulate, you know, mm. way to express an ambition to do something you only learned about half an hour ago yeah. but it's cool. you know, he's gone unfortunately he had that loss and that's the catalyst yeah. that spurs him on to say right now I, I want to do this I wanna, I wanna yes I know but there isn't a vague idea of okay I will fulfil a purpose it's no. become exactly literally all of a sudden I will do this I will go here they go to Mos Eisley Spaceport which is dis- different in the two uh, that's oh so much CGI. I remember going to see this with my digital, dad at the cinema, and he was like, I don't remember any of the CGI in the old version. No, what you've got, no, I mean the establishing shot where they say you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum. Oh, yeah, scum business, yeah. What they're looking down on was a digital mat now and was a, a pan-drawn mat in the original. And it's yeah. just given it a bit more scale and a bit more perspective. It stretches out a bit further. Don't There's have, too many creatures, too many people. It's so busy. Obviously, it's meant to be busy because it's a spaceport, but I just think... See, I always felt that by this point, everything's a little bit in decline. 
Yeah. I, I think it worked to have it a bit of a fucking ghost town with only a few sort of renegades and nasty fucking creatures around. Well, it just I makes it a hyper. It's coming looks, me, you know. And it, it looks, looks terrible. Like your, yeah, it just looks like your regular like, rough place with like fights happening around the corner and and all kinds of shit going on, really. It's not like yeah. any of that driving. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And it's getting worse because they look rubbery. They look like early CG, which, yeah, because they are comparative. So you think they'll do another reissue then where they just clean up the, the bad CG that they've done? No, I think they'll probably leave it as it is now. Whether, yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah, or well, just remaster the old, I mean, the old ones, really. Yeah, just do the old ones. That's what they need to do, do the old ones. I don't, he, can, he can fucking. He can add, do whatever he wants. He can add Gungans to the scene for all I care, as long as he gives us the old ones in proper quality. Nobody, very few, not nobody, very few people consider the theatrical cut of Blade Runner to be Blade Runner anymore. You know, the, the later cuts are, are seen as the film, and this theatrical was this compromised version that went out. But some will disagree on that, and that's fine. But nobody, nobody... Would ever be happy if we were denied that cut, hmm. and we're not. And uh, but Ridley Scott is confident enough, and the studio are confident enough to put out all the cuts and say, "Take your pick." No one yeah. has ever said, "Oh, and he's recut it again," because we don't give a shit how many cuts. Clean up everything you want, but give us an, approximation, an approximation of the original. Yeah, yeah, give us give us choice. I mean, like. Uh, I mean, I get the argument that it's his, his movie and you can do whatever he wants with it. I don't it, get that I, argument. I don't get that it's, argument. It's not. It doesn't belong to him anymore. Not, well, not, not now, not, no. It belongs to Disney. Well, no, but once you... No, it doesn't, actually. It belongs to Fox, the first one. But yeah. um, in perpetuity, it's the only one that does. Um, but it's the fact that you put something out to the world, make millions out of it, make build an empire on it, have a generation or more than one generation of people fall in love with it, then take it away and say, well, it wasn't finished. Yeah, well, yeah. it made fucking hundreds of millions out of it. So yes, it must have been. I, I, I agree with you. It's probably the, the right thing to do, but uh, it is his vision. It's like, well, how he sees it. It's like, no, that's not right. I don't want no, I don't want it. I want, and you know, this, this is how I intend it to be, which but, I, but, but, I, I disagree with, but it's I can't sort of go. But, around, but you know. again, again, this, if if he wants to make his version, fair enough. But don't suppress the thing that made Star Wars in the first place. Yeah, that I agree. made him in the first place. It made him. And he made, he is a, make, don't make Greedo shoot first, for God's sake. Uh, just, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to. We're not very far away from that, folks. That's, yeah. I mean, right. again, if, if, if Mos Eisley is this big sprawling spaceport with all these ships flying about and all, all these Imperial ships flying about and the kind of thing, again, why is it somewhere that you'd put Luke near? Yeah, and also he said, you know, and I know he was pissed off, but he said, uh, was it in this or one of the prequels where they say it, we're at the if you look for the brightest star, we're at the furthest point from it or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's this one where you, well, yeah, if, if if you're looking for a, the brightest star, this is the farthest from it. Okay, so when this is meant to be a are. bit out in the arse end of nowhere. Yeah, so this, so I mean, in terms of Star Wars, this is in what they call the, the outer rim. <coughs> so, in terms of <laughs> when, so <laughs> so like a in like like a western, for instance, on a map, this would be like on the very kind of outskirts. 
Yeah. But, so but also, there's, there's an element of decay in this society. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've got issues with the way, for example, the Jedi fight in the first three films or the, the, the prequels. Yeah, um, yes. Because um, everyone wanks off about how much better the lightsaber fights are, and I will argue when we get there that they fucking well aren't. No, they're um, not. But, it's too but, they re- they, but they represent the Jedi at their peak. We see a lot of Coruscant, which almost represents a society at its peak. It's almost like, you know, Rome before it fucking fell. And so when you get to this film, it's all a bit in decay. Mm. And so the idea that you've got this busy, flourishing port, albeit with quite a high crime rate, has never worked for me. I, I And it was one of the nicest things to go back to with the despecialized edition, that there wasn't so much shit crammed into every frame. Well, I just, I, was honest, I just saw like more like you know uh, monsters or like or you know aliens alien stuff sort of moving across the camera. Really, I didn't sort of see much in terms of like the scale the scale of it. I just thought well, I was just more like CGI. Well, you didn't have that drive through in the first version. We, we'll yeah. see a little bit yeah. of that in Empire because there's, the, there's the bit where it opens up and it pulls back and cranes yeah. up, and you see like it being massive and stuff. And yeah, that wasn't there. And this is there's this, there's a thing where there's like a rebel transport half buried in the sand and all that kind of stuff, and you see an imperial ship flying off and another ship flying off, mm. and yeah, and it's just like. It. No, and then you you come into the cantina where the the kind of places that people hang around where they don't want to be seen, and you've yeah. got the front and you've got the frontier element with the stormtroopers, but, but you're just stuck kind of, in the middle of a thriving city. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you you just so you've got the storm a couple of stormtroopers just hanging about mm. as you would do, keeping law. Mm. But, but also, whatever law that is, they're, yeah. they're now actively looking for the plans as well. But, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, uh, so you, you've got, um, and and if someone wants to get off the planet, they're likely to go there. So it does all make sense. Yeah. Um, the cantina sequence again. It's something that by the time I got to it, had lost a little impact. This was a big, big deal on first release of this film. So many mm. different creatures in one place. I never really experienced it that way, but we do get all the Han Solo stuff, and we do um, obviously see it's quite a quite a dangerous world Luke is in. Yeah, yeah, he, he gets uh, he gets picked on like um, straight away by uh, someone who's been who's, who's been wanted in in how penalty on twelve systems or whatever. Yeah. It is. Okay. <laughs> But again, I always like that. Um, what's what's oh, what's it called? What? There's a there's there's a sketch show where they just do like animation with toys. I've gone with it. I've got oh, robot, chicken. robot chicken. Robot chicken. Yeah, that's the one. The sketch you did with that was great. I don't know if anyone saw that. Is that where he's an architect? Yeah, he's an architect. Yeah. And he's obviously he can't communicate because he's yeah. Well, it's, I mean, and, yeah, because that the, the cantina scene was shot twice. It was shot once in England and it was shot once in LA. They picked it up in LA, and they got a load more a load more people in there because Lucas. They didn't have enough creatures, did it. wasn't it? That no. was the that was the complaint. And they didn't have enough. Uh, of one enough of the things one of the things they did is that alien, which was originally called Walrus Man, or it was a figure, and his name's Ponda Baba. Um, Originally had flippers, actually like a walrus, um, 
and then they changed it to actual kind of clawed hands, um, which you see when his arms cut off. But um, when if you look if you go back and look at the sequence now, there are still shots like there's a, there's a master shot of the cantina where you see him and he's he's led against the uh, led against the bar and he's got flippers. Yeah. So it flip flops, pun intended, um, <laughs> back back and forth. But again, that's that. It's a really good design, and he was really creepy as a kid. Like this, this massive thing with this kind of arse face, um, these big <laughs> eyes. Go, and then this other, even creepier guy going, he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. either. Yeah, and it's just like. There's no other way to describe it, really. It doesn't like a job. Uh, Obi Wan being the most subtle person ever, ever then cuts his arm off. But again, it's a used certificate, and you cut to this close up of this arm on the floor, bloodied. Yes, yeah. I guess. You spend quite a lot of time there as well. You know, it's not just like a glance, like a good couple <laughs> yeah. of seconds. I guess before they decided that lightsabers cauterize wounds. Yeah. As you have to say, it's very early on. We haven't learned how the lightsabers work or how people yeah. pronounce names. Where is Obi Wan's. Um... Uh, Jedi mind trick there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, can I buy you a drink? Yeah, fine. Uh, you want to buy? Uh, you want me to buy you a drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Take off. Okay, your clothes. so they're looking, for, they're looking for a pilot. Uh, we see Obi Wan have a chat with what turns out to be Chewbacca. Yeah. Um, but before we actually get, uh, we get to them. Yeah, we do get them introduced to Han Solo. Mm. Uh, it's about an hour in the film now, isn't it? By the time we get to Hanzo. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Actually, no, I think it's more 40 minutes. I think it's about an hour when we get to the Death Star. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, so that, 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 that um, kind of introduction of Han Solo is just brilliant. And Harrison Ford is just hilarious with how kind of brash he is and how kind of cocky. And kind of back and forth between him and, and Alec Guinness, and kind of it's, especially when he says it's the shit that made the Kessler run in less than twelve parsecs, and you see you almost see Alec Guinness's eyes roll. <laughs> yeah, because Alec it's Guinness just... didn't understand a word of this anyway, mm. and he thought he was making trash. Yeah, um, but it is a it is a wonderful scene and. Um, just the gravitas he carries as well. Uh, uh, Alec Guinness, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he would have made a wonderful Gandalf. Um, yeah, I just thought, he'd, yeah, it's just, he's comfortable in places like that. He's an old man. Right? I mean, he, the actor wasn't actually that old. He was late 60s, I think. But um, you you do believe, not just because we have seen him take the lightsaber out, but there's, he, he looks untroubled in that place. It, you know that relaxation when you think of martial artists when they know they're safe because they've got the skills to defend themselves mm. I always felt like Alec Guinness always looks quite at home in there yeah and that sort of zen kind of mm. like oh like well it's that kind of what Chow Jedi should be like completely just like numb to everything just calm reasoned and and like like I thought like I thought like a voice of Authority, but in a calm tone, you know. Absolutely. So, um, just to spin on a little bit, they end up making an agreement for 
seventeen thousand when it was going to be. He was asking for ten. Is that right? <coughs> Fifth, two now and fifteen when we get there, or something like that. Yeah, it's not. It's not yeah, much of haggling, is it, Obi Wan? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, I think he knows that Princess Leia's got tons of money, or Princess Leia's dad's got tons of money, and uh, so he knows. He's going to be able to pay him what, so we might as well give him a... So that agreement, is, that agreement is made. They've got to meet in a certain docking bay. Um, we've been introduced to, like, a, a, an upright walking dog. So, again, in 1977, there were people who go, what the hell is this? Um, and we get the Greedo scene. Now, Han shot first. Well, Han only shot in the first one. Han shot first is a slight misrepresentation. Um, yes, yeah, it's only a very modern Gre- thing, isn't it? Gre- Greedo has a gun. He's got a gun trained on him. And in the original cut, Han quietly gets his gun ready and fires before he can be shot at. Greedo mm. never gets a shot off originally. Then in 97, they changed it <clears throat> to the kind of Greedo shooting first and Han doing this weird CG head movement to it get it out of the way. It horrible, doesn't it? It looked horrible in the 97 version. It's not perfect now. But what we've got now is a million times better than what we had in the first special edition. I, I think it just happens Over quicker, time, doesn't it? they've brought it closer together, the two shots, and Greedo bizarrely misses, but it, it just doesn't work. It's more yeah. than anything else, it doesn't work. And as much as you now say, um, Lucas going back and correct, you know, uh, realising his vision... I think it's a much older man with kids of a certain age at that point going back to it and wanting to soften Han. I don't think he's realising his 1977 vision. I think he's fundamentally fucking changing it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously he's changed his mind on it and it's not... He's claimed it was... I've heard him claim it was always meant to be that way and I call absolute bullshit on that. Yeah, I don't quite believe that. Charlie, what do you make of this scene? Because it caused so much controversy. It Ugh. isn't my least favourite change, but I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I've got less problem with him actually shooting first than I love the way the original scene was conceived and edited. Just, just the way the constant like we just he's readying his gun and we get little shots of that. Yeah, and he, and he unclips his but, he unclips his gun belt and oh, and then slowly. if you want I mean, Rido shooting first to make Han more of a sort of reaction, therefore not a cold blooded killer, you wouldn't yeah. have all those shots of him readying his fucking gun. It exactly. doesn't work. I, and, um, I mean, I watched the uh, original uh, as well today as well. So I watched both the special edition and the uh, the original one, or like, well, at least one I could find. And the certainly the, the scene as it was originally conceived. Yeah, and to be honest, I, it kind of plays as if he had to shoot him anyway. As if, as if he was like, well, if I'm not going to shoot him, he's going to shoot me. Or take it's me. either going to be shot or he's going to be taken to Jabba. Yeah, and neither of those are acceptable outcomes. S- yeah, so it's... Because Greedo's of, a bounty hunter, just to yeah. explain. Because that's going to impact on the next scene we come to in the special edition. Yeah, so it it doesn't make... So it's <laughs> it's not any real need to have, incorporate that. You, you kind of get that from the entire film, from this from the scene itself. Mm. Um, but also, I think what outrages fans a lot, uh, a lot more, apart from how horrible it looks, is what it actually takes away from the character and what it means to the rest of the story. 
um, you know, in, in terms of the fact that it's it's a significant character trait that he is that rebel. He is that kind of you know that's that selfish. I, 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 and, ju- and just another day in a Tatooine bar. Yeah, he you really, know what he, I mean. He really just throws some money down on the bar as an apology, and off you go. Yeah, he really, he really doesn't care. So, like someone like that who will, is willing to shoot someone in cold blood, is yeah. maybe not such a good guy. So when he does kind of come I, back at the end, it's I, I kind don't. Of yeah, I, I don't. I mean, he was he was ready in his gun anyway. So had it been originally conceived as it now is, i.e., they shoot around the same time. I don't think it destroys the hand character particularly. No. I just think it's really fucking ham-fisted. And it, it now looks as good as it's ever looked. But frankly, it's still utterly fucking pointless. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's especially in, in the kind of larger idea as well of how his character has developed throughout the other two films. I agree, Charlie, but what I'm saying is that when you're ready this gun and them shooting around the same time, this isn't this isn't quite as damaging to the hand character as is made out. It's damaging to the sort of badassery of sort of Moss Eisley Spaceport, I guess, to a degree. And it's damaging, I think, to Lucas as a filmmaker that uh, you know, they start pulling their punches. It, it's like that brief period where E.T. they were carrying like walkie talkies instead of guns. Mm. Briefly, when they when they hit middle age or a little bit past middle age, actually, they suddenly became, you know, uh, George Lucas adopted kids after his marriage broke down and his marriage broke down around the time of Jedi. So by the time he was making the special editions, he had kids ranging from like mid teens to like five or something like that. And he and he was suddenly a very different man than the young man that made these films in the first place. And that's the problem when you go back to edit. Change whatever you like, but don't tell us that was your 1977 vision because you, you're not that man anymore. Um, I've actually got more problems in terms of the film with what we get next because we get the Jabba scene next. No, this no, is... Uh, yeah, no. so I was going to say in the original version, there is no Jabba scene. There's, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. No such thing as ever existed and i'm sticking to that okay well, well, i'm going to talk about it anyway you can yeah it. no it's, i mean it's, it's ridiculous it I, I i will i will agree with charlie and uh with, with this point uh watching it without about it made me realize how pointless that whole scene is is there's no need it doesn't tell you well, it, it's execution and idea now films at their best are supposed to have every scene advanced plot or character this scene not only damages Return of the Jedi because it's finally the reveal of this guy that's been mentioned a few times and Han is clearly scared of. He killed someone in a bar to fucking avoid this guy. That's damaged as well by the way the Greedo scene played out because obviously it was a bit more about threat then. Um, But it's two things. (laughs) Firstly, we're introduced to a Jabba which spoils an element of the trilogy that there's a certain build-up to him. Uh, secondly, the conversation is literally giving us the information we've just had. Yeah. Yeah. There is a bounty on Han's head, and if he doesn't pay whatever the figure is, and I think we do get the figure, but I've forgotten what it is, um, then he will be handed over to the to, to Jabba the Hutt. Why would you send a bounty hunter if Jabba's just round the fucking corner, surrounded by people, including Boba Fett, uh. who does a really fucking 
nodding look at the camera. Look, look, here I am. Bobby, <laughs> fan favourite, Boba Fett. Now, George Lucas did say that he filmed this scene with a man, and I've seen photos of it. In fact, I've seen yeah. moving footage. I think, of I think it. I've seen the clip. He's actually. right, but you don't always put in everything you shoot. No. There is an editing process where you go, actually, we can cut that because we've got the same information there. Mm-hmm. So this scene should have been cut anyway. What makes it worse is the execution is horrible because we've established. Yes, walk him. I know, but we've established cool. he's got a long tail. So it's it's still possibly the worst effect in the film. Harrison Ford being lifted up and over him. Really bad. And also in the 97 uh, version, it looks like fucking claymation or something. It does. It looks so it, fake. Oh, my it, God. It's the horrible sort of like noisy makes as he stands on his tail. And you think, why would Jabba tolerate that at all? Well, in the Blu-ray version, he looks more irked. He turns around like, what the fuck? And that's it. But in the 97 version, he does this weird kind of squeal thing with bulging eyes. It's horrible, this scene. And what makes it worse is it was unnecessary. Yeah, pointless. Um, Yeah. Uh, Should we move on? Let's move on. (laughs) I think we all agree with that scene. Um, So, um, yeah. So, from that, uh, Luke joins them and then uh, they get trapped by the droids and they, they sort of shoot their way out and fly off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all we need to really cover of that. I mean, because yeah. you can talk about all these scenes at length and we're already mm. on quite a long show. Yeah. Um, so they're mm. heading they're heading to Alderaan. Um, we also see the think. we see the um, well, we see the hyper um, space effect. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool effect. I like which that is really cool. Bear in mind, at this point, we'd never seen warp in Star Trek, so this was this was something a bit new. I always liked it. And uh, then we have the scene with Leia and Darth. Well, no, Darth, well, uh, with um, Peter Cushing out talking uh, <coughs> when he blowing up Alderaan. Yeah, which is a bit of an old bastard thing to do, isn't it? He's not very nice, is he? Well, far too trusting. Yeah, it's. But obviously, they they make a point how like the secret the rebel base isn't like in a good enough position to demonstrate, so they're going to blow it all on anyway. Uh, which is yeah. But horrible. she she has got balls of steel because she's yeah. not she's not only gone through like some kind of truth serum and implied torture. I mean, we can see she hasn't been beaten about, but she's certainly been psychologically yeah, that needle through was the terrifying. That was kind of scary. I mean, Becca, I, over the years, you've said lots of things are terrifying that really aren't. But that was but That is scary. actually terrifying. It is actually, it's quite terrifying. But. No, it is. I'll go along with that. That is fucking he, like, he, oh, my God, what's about to happen? Yeah, yeah he says, and he says her resist, resistance to the mind probe is considerable. Yeah, so they've really put her through the mill on it. It's effectively torture, although she's not been classically beaten like around. Like mind torture, is it? Kind of? Yeah, and, and I think what I love on top of that is she says down to him, after all of that, she says Dantooine, and it yeah. wasn't Dantooine. No. After all that, when she gives them a name, it was bullshit. Yeah, yeah. she's still going to give it up. Yeah. That often gets missed. Like, they finally broke her, but they didn't. Yeah, the, the, I think I think it, it's it's a good tactic. It's like, well, what, what else can I do? I might as well buy him some time exactly. and give him, give, him, give him, like, a wrong name. But at the same time, they they know that they almost anticipate it as well, which kind of makes it even more chilling. I think. 
I don't know that they do know because they do check it out. They do check it out and find that, that there was evidence the rebels left mm. some time and he's ago. Like, oh, actually, no. Well, we're going to destroy Alderaan. Anyway. It doesn't matter what she was saying. They 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 want to. No. Yeah. They were going to blow it up anyway. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, that's it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, they've added the practice effect in the special edition. That yeah. wasn't in the original. Um, that's quite a good effect, I think. I mean, it's, it's very sad, but I, I think the, the explosion effects in this film were phenomenal. I, th- I think if um, it, it's a shame that all the things they could have added, they could have added, like, a little scene there, just to kind of like, emphasis on, like, the destruction. We don't actually see Alderaan until the end of yeah, the episode. We don't know anything about it, do we, apart from... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I, don't, I don't know whether that would actually help it or not. I don't know. But I don't know that it really matters now. No. I think it stands out more because we got an episode clip and we saw a little bit of it. It's like, why didn't yeah. they just show us a little bit of that in four? Yeah. But if it had just stayed as three films, it wasn't. It wasn't actually that important because we 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 see the we see. It's about what it does to Leia rather yeah. rather than what it does to the planet. Um, yeah, it's all in the face really, and it's. About that, the emotional yeah. impact. I think she does an excellent job for what was a 19 year old actress when they were filming this. No, she's really, really good. I just, I'm gutted that she's gone. I just think, oh. Yeah, she's she, she only 19 as well on this. She was 19 when they filmed this. <laughs> yeah, it's a really sort of strong. Well, uh, certainly through a lot of the filming. I think she was born yeah. in like 56, but of course they were filming this from 75. It it's really is a strong sort of performance considering that because she does hold her own, like. With with the other guys in the yeah, action really as well, does. she kicks and she, she yeah, well, she does. I think she she really sort of well, she's got a much more formal accent in this film than she has in the subsequent films. But mm. ma- marry measure that against Natalie Portman's fucking accent compared to the real <laughs> one. Um, it's Very just such, it's just a subtle. It's it's almost like a telephone voice. It's almost like a subtle. RP. I am representing my you know I am representing. <laughs> I'm just being extra polite, <laughs> kind of. But you, you still, even that she's so young, you do believe that she's an ambassador, that she's a princess. Um, you Which do they pushed push too far in the prequels. Elected queens and they're fourteen. Like fuck off, them so stupid. Well, it gets a bit too much into the mythology um, of it. Whereas you see royalty here. Where, um, there's no, there's no implication she was elected, but obviously different countries, different, uh, different planets, different arrangements, probably. But um, then they come, so they come out of hyperspace. We actually see the inside hyperspace effects, which was actually done with tin foil. Mm, actually cool. done with tin foil. It's just incredible. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And they come out to. Basically, a shower of space debris and asteroids from mm. from a, an exploded planet. I'm telling you, kid, it's not there anymore. It's very sad. Uh, well, not really. Um, it's fictional. I'm not that upset. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, must, uh, I, I like the um, stop motion chess. What, what I dubbed the stop motion chess. It is stop motion chess. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a cool effect as well. I, I love, love how, like, obviously, obviously, with the you know episode one, two, and three, we get so much CGI. I thought they were watching Jason and the Argonauts, personally, but... Well, that's it, yeah. You've got the whole Harryhausen vibe, haven't you, as well? But I, I love how you've got so much, like, Yoda, when we come to see him, he's a Muppet, you know. And he, he's an <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that Yoda, he's a Muppet. It's best in tough circumstances, Becca, <laughs> calling him a Muppet after all those centuries. Not an actual Muppet, experience. but, you know, he's, he's a tangible puppet character. Um, whereas, obviously, later on, he's CGI Yoda. Um, so you can do all these cool moves and backflips and such. It kind of looked all right by episode three, but it looked fucking lousy in episode two. It does a little yeah. bit. I, I still like that kind of the, you know, all the actual 
creatures that, that you see in this film that aren't CGI. You know, they kind of they look more Talk real. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm much prefer, I'm much prefer much prefer the, uh, the the puppetry more. So do uh, I. Free up his movement for something that, well, we'll talk about it when we get to episode two. I've I've never changed, I've (coughs) known a collective change of mind as quick as that, in that we all went fucking hell when episode two happened because it was shocking and exciting. And on rewatch, you go, that's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) I think at the time, nobody really expected it. That's what it was. It was the surprise factor. Yeah, yeah, it was real like, oh my god, you know. It's not how a sort of stately Yoda type would fight anyway, but it's no. just unnecessary. Leave it. He doesn't need to fight. Certainly not like that. Not in the traditional way. And you got Christopher Lee's Dooku as well, so that was pretty awesome. Mm. I hated it. And then, uh, but then they get to the Death Star. Yes. They get to the yes. Death Star. Now, I've always, <coughs> I always thought this, this was the gold standard of effects for so long. Mm. The Millennium Falcon being dragged tiny into this massive Death Star. And, and until the early 90s, that effect still stood up. I mean, it still looks good today as well, I think. Don't forget, oh, yeah. got special editions yeah, have it and done different things mm-hmm. to it. But if you went and watched the, if you went back and, and grabbed your VHS of the original, it looked pretty good at the time. It really did. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we, we wouldn't have ever experienced a threat of that perceived size. I mean, what chance have you got against that? Yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, I don't just mean the power of the Death Star; I just mean the sheer number of people that will be there, and you know, internal firepower as much as what it can do to planets and all the rest of it. The number of people there that are armed, and you do not want them knowing who you are. Yeah, I've always wondered, like, what sort of what 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 the population of the Death Star is. I, I did read figures on the perceived size of it. I think it's about 100 kilometres across, something like that. I can't remember that. But there'd be a lot of people on it. They would mm. be, by definition, it would have to be a lot of people. Love shopping malls and yeah. cinemas. <laughs> spas. The sort yeah. of thing that um, the Family Guy takes a pop up as well. Obviously, you've got like, the staff working on board the Death Star. and Like when they fire that laser that destroys Old Run. And obviously, you've got the two people who are right, they work right next to the... No guardrail, the laser, and they've got like yeah. no protection. I mean, the, the, the laser's not going to hit them because it's fired in a straight line. But you just think, oh, oh no, that's it. Really got got to trip over. All you got to do is leave your shoelaces undone by mistake, and you're fucking dead. And, and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a dangerous, such a dangerous do, job. And you do, Mister Freeze, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you fall backwards, and yeah, that was fucking funny. We'll cover <laughs> that. Best, um, best fucking CCTV ever. <laughs> oh. So. Yeah, so so yeah, so basically, this is where the film basically picks up into like a, a non-stop action flick. Uh, basically, comes a bit. Of a, a, a the whole thing's been up now. There are alternatives yeah. to fighting, so they need to deactivate that tractor beam to get away. Yeah, mm. and that's Alec Guinness's sort of job. Job, yeah. Uh, they, so they say, so he t- tells them to sort of stay here while the guys go and try and get the princess out. Yeah, but so then dressing well, up as the enemy. That old trick. Yeah. So what, what it is, they, they discovered that layers um, actually on board because they didn't realise at the time. So they got, oh, we've got to go and rescue her. Uh, so they that's so they sort of dress up as stormtroopers and go and try and save her. And mm. he's got he got a nice sort of like the break layer out. Then then the then you have the the, shoot, the shooting out out the uh, yeah. yeah trash factor problem. And then that always felt like busy work to me. 
I'm loath to sort of criticise this film too much, but even now, I'm, I never find the trash compactor stuff that interesting. Just feels like, well, no, but I, we best I, have a little bit of a caper. Yeah, I think it. I know what you mean, but I think it it does help break up from the you know from the action section set pieces. It's like, well, it's, it's something. It's a bit that's a bit different. It's partly you've got to have a passage of time as well because Obi Wan Kenobi has set off to find this tractor beam, which is somewhere in the center <laughs> of the station. We know it's huge. So you've got to kind of put all this stuff in from a storytelling perspective, actually. I kind of understand it yeah, entirely. Yeah, it also, it also underlines what complete fuck-ups Han and Luke are. Yeah, it gives, gives them to a chance to sort of be, uh, interact with Leia a lot more. Um, but also there's a nice sort of... Also the joys get him out, and I, I, I do... One of the few C-3PO moments I do like is when he's like, oh my they're God, dying. they're dying. And they're like cheering because they, 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 they survived. <laughs> And then you have um, Obi Wan versus Darth. Yeah, I mean, I, I, before, before we get, I do like like James Earl uh, James Earl Jones's delivery of James, that, James Girl Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do like Musafa's delivery of when um, <laughs> you said Musafa. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Voice of CNN. This is CNN. <laughs> Yeah, but it would be NCN if Chris <laughs> Go on. Sorry, Chris. Uh, it's like the Ben Simpsons where you've got like Mufasa and Darth Vader and this is you and then. Then we have, um, when, he, when he says, like, I've, I've, I haven't heard, felt a presence this long since, and it just walks off. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds, it's like, yeah, it sounds, it, it can almost sound, like come across as a bit, daft or like a bit silly he's like oh you're not going to finish that sentence but it the d- d- delivery kind of makes it work oh it works yeah yeah uh but anyway yeah we get to this basic all man fight uh which to be fair i think the effects of the even even the, even the, the original one look really good for that time they do they do there's only one error in the in the lightsabers around here which i'll get to because it's at the very end of the scene at, at one point i can see the stick i can see like as the as the Blast doors close around Vader. Darth Vader's yeah. lightsaber is just That's like fixed white. in the Blu-ray, but that it, but it wasn't fixed until the Blu-ray. The 2004 DVDs and the 97 film left that mistake in. They've had to change. They've changed rotoscoping effects over the years, and they've also had uh, restoration work, which was done by Lowry, the same people who did the Bond films, and they do a terrific job. But errors do creep in. You've got fights where, like, the core of the lightsaber's missing and stuff like that, or shots anyway. Not in this film so much. But George Lucas's direct... I mean, first off, you've got um, a not very... Alec Guinness wasn't exactly an action hero. Uh, but on top of that, you've got George Lucas's direction in this era that they're heavy, that they need two hands to control, and they're heavy and unwieldy lightsabers. So... It, they were directed to make it look a little bit ungainly and awkward, mm. and which again, of course da- is the only real time that happens. Yeah, Dar- and again, Darth Vader is is still um, half robot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, so and then. He- but yeah, we've got uh, now the yeah. It obviously effectively ends with. Um, this never really gets fully explained in this film, but we, we you'd infer force or something 
from what we've been told because we hear his voice later. But obviously the yeah. body disappearing, we don't know if that's some bizarre physics of this universe. Mm depending on how you die. It's not really explained, but it is clear from Alec Guinness's expression and the way he holds his lightsaber up in front of him that he's, he's giving his life away here. Oh, absolutely. And there's and, a bit and, like it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I always like the way as well, the, the way Vader um, steps on a cloak. Yeah, it's like, where's he gone? In, in like the <laughs> yeah. amusement. Yeah, that's the only problem, because obviously at the end of... Um, Jedi, he becomes a Force ghost, whereas at this point, Vader clearly has no concept of, of Force ghosts. Yeah. Because Force ghosts involve the physical form joining the Force, effectively leaving our realm. Hmm. And it, the way he stamps on it, he, he, he can't figure out what's just happened. Yeah. Which I kind of like, but then yeah, I say it makes no sense later on in the, in the trilogy. <laughs> but that is the majority of the plot now, because obviously we get we get away with the uh, they get away with the plans. Mm. They, they, um, the plans now have to be analysed. Uh, yes, they do. They figure out where Alderaan is. I mean, like they they do put a tracker on. No, that that's the thing. They put a tracker on to find out where the actual rebel base is. And yes. and Leia does and Leia does point it out the fact that they're probably tracking us, and it was like, yes. well, and they and they were like, they oh, let us care. get away. Yeah. Because uh, um, which, which she, she is the smartest of them. Yeah. Or at seems... least whatever intellect Han has, for example, is is interrupted by boneheaded, you know, ego. Yeah. And, oh, don't worry about it. And, and just... Well, she's a war she's veteran. Yeah. Even, even at that age. Um, and then they she's go back... She's the clearest thinking of all of them. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so they are tracked. Now there's an obvious flaw with it, right? So, do, is the next scene them analysing the plans with the computer graphics of the? Well, team? no, you, you get the thing with the Tie Fighters, don't you? you get a bit of banter about um, oh, like, they've actually got well, a, about yeah. how how good looking she is, like whether like thinking like you know a girl like that, a guy like me, and then like, yeah. Luke says then they, no, <laughs> yeah. And then they they <laughs> land on Yavin and analyse the plans, yeah. And then everyone gets in their X wings and their Y wings, yeah. And then Han buggers off, goes, oh, I've got my reward. He's got to pay Jabba. I, <laughs> you understand at this stage why he's doing that. Yeah. Um, there's one thing that's never made sense to me, and it's um, why they have to clear. Why it, ta- it takes like 30 minutes for them to clear a planet in order to be able to fire at the base. I think because Yav- it's the fourth moon of Yavin. Yes, so they, they could just blow what's in the way out of the way. True, but it's weather enough. Yeah, I, I, that's true. Yeah, you I get mean, caught up with you, it. I mean, you, you, you could argue a times you, before I work that out. You could argue that it takes a certain amount of time to charge up. Yeah, probably. Um, but then that's what that's, no, that's never really kind of. There is a firing schedule, isn't there? In that they they start. You know, flipping levers and stuff and yeah. down and coordinate. There isn't a button just marked fire and that's it. <laughs> so you think it probably would be, though. So <laughs> it, it, it be. You have to channel some energy. And in yeah. fact, it's one of the things The Force Awakens does quite well in that they, whatever your feelings on The Force Awakens, they, they need the energy of a sun in order to generate this. 
Yeah. So you you couldn't just fire twice. I mean, do you, do you think because of the size of it, there could be some gravitational issues? Possibly. I, I don't know, but you know what? Yeah. I'm anyway, to say. anyway, it, it, it's a it's a time lock. It's a classic. Yeah, you like, have to you have to blow this up before this happens. Is, is, is in position in seven gonna, minutes, or everyone's going to die. Yeah, actually, love the way this this is. The Marshall Lucas is is credited with this. This sequence was a lot longer, and it was one trench run. They have actually recut it into two. It wasn't filmed that way. Um, I love all this, and and actually, it's uh, as much as some of the effects do look better from being redone. Both versions of the both versions of this battle original and redone look great yeah the, the only thing I, I don't quite understand uh, and maybe you guys might um, explain, explain it to me because I'm not quite sure what the tactic is because they go in like in, in Treadstone 3 but leave themselves to be open to be tailed by TIE fighters as if it's like what, what's the tactic in that there's is no you... coverage from above is there I think the point is to get as close because they've got um, they've got like um, on the surface they've got these guns <laughs> firing up at them yeah. yeah, I think the the basis is you get as close to as possible to them. It's inherently dangerous because you have to reduce the maneuverability of of the defenses that are already there. Okay. Uh, I think I think you can't just you can't just have X and Y wings up in the air, so to speak, giving coverage to those in the trench because the 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 plant the star itself has too many inherent defences, you'd be creamed quickly. Yeah. Okay. It, it just seemed like you just leave yourself being open just by... Like, like, that might uh, all be true, Chris. But those, those, two, those, those, two, those two ships, um, like, in front of... Was that just kind of like there's kind of like a kamikaze cover to, like, give them more time to be shot? You know, I, I, I don't know. Well, why don't you just find one at a time and give yourself more opportunities? I don't know. But, the whole point, though, is to give the defences a lot to do. That's why yeah, there yeah. different sort of yeah. groupings. Yeah, um, you, you stay with your wingman. And they and, you, and they do get battered. I mean, they do get hammered. Only two, <coughs> only two of them survive. Yeah. And one of them is damaged. In fact, both of them are damaged, I think. Wedge yeah. has to pull out because he's fucked. Wedge being uh, played by Dennis Lawson, the uncle of Ewan McGregor. Yeah, uh, he, he, he ends up being in uh, Jedi. He's like the, the, the is it red leader, isn't he? Yes, I, oh, I don't know. Wasn't Luke? Yeah, no, I think he probably was. I don't know. We'll, yeah. I, we'll get. He, there. He's red leader in Jedi anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah, and he's uh, in. Um, he's Rogue Three in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Um, no speeders, but anyway, yeah. So and the then, whole point, though, is they told when they analysed the plans that there's a th- small thermal exhaust port that's about two meters wide that you've got to hit with a straight shot to start a chain reaction that will mm. go down to the core of the planet and blow it out. It's not a planet, it's a death star, but you get my point. Yeah. Um, so they have to be extremely precise at great speed. And they're, they're, they're using uh, these the, the computers on board the ships to kind of track the technology is like the best chance that they've got to kind of get the best possible shot. Um, and the idea is that each time they do this, it doesn't work, and they get getting shot down until it's Luke's turn, and Luke decides to use Switch the force. Off his computer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's his first proper um, milestone towards becoming a Jedi. The fact that he is able to do that 
with again Alec Guinness then coming back and doing the I should become more powerful than you can possibly imagine thing and helping out Luke there guiding him, guiding him there and then him making that shot and uh and that's it, really. They blow up, they blow up the Death Star. And what I love is the brightness of it. They get medals. They're still counting down. And you've got Peter Cushing looking off to the sort of right, his right. And they're just waiting for it to happen. And then suddenly, bang. It, yeah. I actually really like that. Um, yeah. he, he, does, always... he, he, does get, um, he does turn down the opportunity to evacuate himself when they highlight they are attacking a weakness. Do you want to evacuate? What? I think you overestimate their chances. But he kind of gives a look as, as I was to say, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, he's yeah. going to stand around here looking like, looking like they're in charge. <laughs> there are two scenes in this film that I think make it, that really make it feel so innocent and, and almost naive. There are two scenes in this film that I kind of wish weren't in it. Um which will probably be heresy. I've never liked the swing across the chasm with Princess Leia. That That's too sort of boy's own for me. But also, um, I, I don't like the medical, medical ceremony. I think it's really fucking cheesy. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, it does. I've always hated it. Yeah. I really does, don't like it. it does I like the music. Really. I think it just looks dated as well. It's like, I don't give a shit if they get medals. It's like, so what? <laughs> Here's a medal. Actually, you have to see the you know the heroes getting trophies, but that's a bit what, that's what, what about, what about Rook, gets uh, late? That's way more fun. Exactly. My, my, my only problem is that Chewie doesn't get one. I know. What about where, where G? He stuck through it all, didn't he? He did his duty. Where's his medal? Yeah, where's his medal? Hand just shows up at the last minute, shoots a, shoots a couple of side buyers. The medal looks a bit like a Jim will fix it badge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's got no problem with the uh, getting getting shut down by the Death Star. He just swings back in and goes like, "Yeah, sorted for you." Oh, I, I could have, I could have taken out uh, Darth Vader, but I didn't bother. Han <laughs> coming in at the last minute would have been joyous at the time. But yeah, I don't like the medal ceremony. The, yeah, uh, one thing I did notice on, and I don't know if Charlie because being a music, I did find it slightly odd because usually when you have a moment when Han comes in at the end, you get like a bit of a like. The score kind of goes up as if it's like a big sort of heroic kind of thing. Whereas it, I notice it doesn't in the film. It kind of it's really underplayed musically. Yeah, I mean, well, it, yeah, because it, it, it's just it, it's just continues what it, what it's been doing for, yeah. which is scoring the the countdown of the Death Star essentially, and the kind of the tension there. So because it plays a variation on Luke's theme. But in a, in a much more kind of minor key, um, and 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 kind of playing that as a kind of almost like a clock, a ticking clock. Mm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, usually you might get a little bit of levity and then go straight back to the ticking clock thing. You usually what I, it's just what something that I'm necessarily used to. Uh, as a movie goer, and it just sort of struck me on what when this view and go, oh crap, yeah, I, 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 I picked that out before. As I was, I thought, I wonder what Charlie thinks of this. <laughs> so it does. It does start the, the the whole just moving forward to the medal ceremony bit. It does start the Star Wars sort of tradition mm. that the last ninety seconds to two minutes are oh, just music. Yeah, yeah. 
and that is lovely. I, it's so obvious now to us, but that isn't obvious. It isn't an obvious thing to do, and I'm so glad they do. That just that moment of peace and just soaking it in before it ends. Absolutely. And really also, then goes straight into the. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, Luke's theme because as much as George keeps wanting to go on, this is the whole thing about Anakin Skywalker. Is this? This is Luke. This is all about Luke, and that's kind of why I like the medal at the end because the medal somewhere at the end because you see how proud Luke is of himself, and he's got this big, huge, cheesy grin. Oh, it's a graduation ceremony. And, time, yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. yeah. Yeah, if you look at it like that, I, I can yeah, I can see why it's yeah. definitely acceptable. And, and then and then it goes back into straight into Luke's theme. I, I guess it's something that to me, we'll debate a lot over the next few weeks who these films are aimed at and the inconsistencies in yeah. who yeah. they are aimed at. That and the swing across the chasm aims lower than most of the rest of the film in terms of age, I think. It's I, just I, something, I don't, I don't something a... for kids to watch and go yay. Yeah, I, I don't really have much of a problem because if it was an Indiana Jones film, it would wouldn't seem that yeah, out of I, place. I, I, I see more of that as a, as a more of a homage to because the 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 cue that accompanies the uh, the swing across is called the Swashbucklers. Okay. So I see it much more as a homage to um, kind of Errol Flynn films and stuff like that. I would one hundred percent agree with that. Very, For me, that that is pretty much where it comes from. Yeah. You know, swashbuckling again from like Errol Flynn or the kind of um, you know cliffhanger sort of things that boys' own stories that we come to know. So, and again, that's where well, it's the same place where Indiana Jones comes from, essentially. It's those kind of stories that, that they they all grow of up. Of course, with. Indiana Jones is helped by the fact it's got a significantly older leading man than Mark Hamill. Well, yeah, obviously, it, it feels less ki- not kidding. Kid, kid, I, 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 I understand what you mean. Origin is from generally the same idea. Yeah, I think yeah. we're all saying. Yeah. it's certainly valid to put it there you've made a really good defense of both of them but you see why i don't like it that much and yeah fair, fair enough. enough to each his own mm. i got married to that music the the the, the, the uh the throne room music i know of oh, uh, uh, arnie from now playing his wife walked down the aisle to that that's amazing I, I yeah he's Oh, you just imagine so. like DJ getting it wrong with like da 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 da. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I think one thing that you, Dave you've repeated throughout and the, it's, which is still very much prevalent in this film is the innocence of it and the naivety of it um, compared to the films that will. Come. I mean, well, it's the least like the least like product of any of it, really. Yeah, bizarrely. Yeah, and it, and it's nice. Even even now, when we when we look at, we've seen like trailers for the Last Jedi and what's going on with Luke Skywalker, and looking at his 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 arc himself, and where and the different places that character has been, <clears> it makes it really interesting. And it's and I it's still I was noticing Mark Mark Hamill gets a lot of flack sometimes, but noticing his acting. I've never had a film, problem with him. And how must how bright ideas and how really kind of he's wonderful, and uh, and it really sets home just how fun this film is. Uh, just a quick question about the uh, Luke theme. Um, how, how did that play into Force Awakens? If uh, if you can remember. Or did you? Did uh, you they, they or, or was it only at the end? Well, that 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 all. No, um, they they played it. Um, 
like they, they, they played it when Han Solo first came aboard the Millennium Falcon um, as, a, as a kind of light kind of thing and um, and then you kind of, but then then you kind of start to hear it towards the end, um, when they look when they're looking at the map, and when Ray and Chewie kind of take off. There's like some renditions in there, and it's kind of <coughs> kept very kind of minor. Yeah. Um, so this is still keeping in keeping that it's Luke's theme. It's not like because I was thinking there, like yeah, yeah. I was thinking maybe it might give us some clue as to how. So maybe some characters playing to it, you know, in, in regards to Luke, it might be like a little like, uh, like a little insight into oh maybe what this is what we have to expect or or whether they that for the Force Awakens. Yeah. Okay, I just just suddenly thought then, so I thought I'd ask. No, it's it's, it's a good point because they do it in the Phantom Menace as well. Uh, yes, yeah, Star Wars. Uh, it, look, it's classic for a reason. Uh, I think it, there's a spirit about it that's really independent. I think this is probably George Lucas's. Um, best film i think the problem with with george lucas in in terms of his later work here i think that there's a hunger to succeed i think it and i think it shows you know it's like this guy actually made a film whereas you go back years later when he does the prequels i think that's just kind of non-existent here so i think he does a better job um but yeah there's a there's a very independent spirit to it as a like a do or die uh, which really works for the film and you know what, what what's to be said it looks great it's got a good spirit about it it's decent sci-fi action adventure uh and uh yeah it's it uh it it speaks to a lot of kids and and people in general it was popular for a reason it, it was it was then saying flip that everyone loved for me it's probably the, the one i watched least of the original trilogy actually and i'll talk more about that when we come to the next two it's no knock on this film. It's the order I fell in love with them with. It's it's certain things here that can only get built upon because this is the first entry. But um, it's a special film, and it's a special film. It's Ben Burt and John Williams, actually. They're the, t- they're the two biggest factors, but then you throw in wipes and effects and all the other things as well. But it has a unique feel, and there's only really Superman the movie that's ever done that where I just go, there's, there's nothing quite like this, and it transports me to another sort of place and time when I watch it. So it's a special film to me too, possibly not as special as it, as it is to a lot of the fans in and amongst what's coming. Yeah, there's not really a lot I can add to that, really. Um, there's a sort of classic sci-fi movie for many reasons I've seen. Um, yeah, definitely there's, there's a list of very good reasons that we've already listed as to why this speaks to a whole generation of people and... Um, many more generations to come, definitely. Um, but no, if you, if you want a mix of, you know, sort of action, sci-fi, drama, um, Western in space, then pop this movie in, and you won't be disappointed. I need to learn more about it, though. You need some facts. I need some factage. Yes. Star facts. Star facts. <laughs> that's actually for, for 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 such laziness. That's actually inspired. <laughs> Star Trek number Stop. one. Okay. Chewbacca's growl is actually a mix of a bear, a lion, a walrus, and a badger. Star Trek number two, Carrie Fisher had to stand on a box with the scenes with the actors because she was very tiny. Um, Star Trek number three, Luke and Wedge are the only Red Squadron pilots to survive all three original movies. Star Trek number four, Star Stallone, aka Rocky, auditioned for the role of Han Solo, a bit random. 
And obviously, fun fact, as I mentioned earlier, the series is 40 years old. This particular film. That's fun, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I had to reflect on it briefly, but yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I can't contain my excitement. We're all, we're all, yeah. We gave Becca such oxygen to work with there. The pause after the first fact, waiting for anything. Fucking crickets. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, social media folks? Oh, you find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. Hey, you find me at Movie Drone on Twitter. You can find me at Simitrox on Twitter. <coughs> you can find us at Do You Expect Us to Talk on Twitter. No, you can't. At Expect Us to Talk. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Then Charlie, what about your Sound of Fear? Yeah, yeah, I run a, an, a, a podcast called Sound of Fear about the music of horror movies. Um, you can follow that on Twitter at Sound Fear Pod. Um, and uh, yeah, just go to Stitcher or iTunes, type in the Sound of Fear and uh, have a listen, give us a rating. Preferably five stars because it is amazing. Yeah. Yes. And you want to give us five stars, that'd be great. Yeah. Yes, we can also be found on Stitcher and iTunes and also at cinematronics.co.uk. But if you do listen to us on iTunes, please kindly give us a five-star rating as it helps us to rank higher in the listings. We assume it does. Other podcasts claim it does, so we'll claim it too. (laughs) (laughs) It does, apparently. I've seen it happen. I think we've taken our first step into a larger world, which means Becca. Just talk, we'll return with Star Wars Episode 5, Empire Strike Back.